0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. From the halls of assembly, you hear a screaming and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us the goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're well, Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics! Hello, Ward. Eric, how are you, my friend? Oh, man, I'm excited. <laughs>
1: I am excited. I am counting down the hours. I'm about... 42 hours away from leaving for the airport to head to Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take it to Bermuda. Bahamas. Come on, pretty mama. All right. Yeah, that's all we're going to do there. But yeah, I am real stoked. I have been counting down the days, as you know, for quite a while. I have had to stop counting down the days with Holly. I, that, that was going to be my question. How's, how excited is Holly? Zero. <laughs> Zero. Zero. She, she told me when I got to like 14 days, she goes, just stop counting. She goes, you can count, but I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? We're going to the Bahamas. She's like, I, I, uh, there's a global pandemic. Like, I, I'm i going because you go only going with me because Indiana is playing in the Bahamas. Don't try to spin this like it's some tropical getaway for the two of us. It wouldn't have even been on the radar if it wasn't for a bunch of basketball players going to play some <laughs> Serbians in the Bahamas. And she's right. She's absolutely <laughs> right. I don't have an argument. I do not have a retort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you come up with...
0: Uh, a thing here or something there that you can do to make her know you care while you're jumping between like Woody's cabana and like, you know, gambling with Brian Walsh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: As if I'm going to be at Woody's cabana, but I just like the idea of just me walking into it. Like (laughs) acting like I belong. (laughs) Um, Well, here is just a classic male, female thing, right? So I, to your point, I was like, I need to find those things that I can do that are about her. So I go on the website. You you can swim with dolphins and you can like pet sea lions. And Holly's a big animal person. Mm -hmm. Like, this is going to be sensational. I go, Holly, we can swim with dolphins. And immediately she's like, they're in captivity. I don't want to do that. Yeah, (laughs) I don't want to do that. Uh, That's a couple, a, I just want him to, fr- can we free him into the ocean? Cause if <laughs> not, then I don't want anything to do with it. Like, oh my God. I'm just trying to do something here. And all of a sudden I'm the guy who created SeaWorld. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just brutal. It's
0: brutal, man. Well, uh, uh, two women who will remain nameless did go to a tropical paradise recently. And one of these women in particular is a staunch, staunch advocate of animal rights. And totally went swimming with dolphins in captivity, but swore the other person on the trip and myself to complete silence about it. They're like, did, hey. did that person who may or may not be living with you enjoy that experience? Well, the person, the one person I'm speaking about, d- does not live oh, with me. Okay. She might her. have sworn the other person who does live with me to silence. But the and, person who lives with you did not swim with dolphins. Uh one person, a person who lives in my house, did, in fact, swim with dolphins and absolutely loved it. However, that person is also not a
1: staunch,
0: right, you know, advocate to the point where that's what they're all
1: about. So I'm on the website like finding out, are they in captivity? Like what's going on here? Is this like flipper from the 60s or right. or is this like a nice thing? Turns out they are like a very green, pro-animal rights group that, like, look, I don't know. Here's the bottom line, Ward. I can't win. I cannot win. (laughs) I've made dinner reservations at some good restaurants. And I'm look, I'm going to go to the Bahamas and do everything I can to just stay out of her way. (laughs) Like, that's... (laughs) I think that's the only move I have, is to just stay out of her way. But I want to talk to you about the Bahamas trip for this reason. Okay. We know we're going to get some clips that come out of there. Right. You know you're going to get a detailed explanation, description, recap from me. And if you follow us on Twitter for the hyster- Hoosier, at Your Hysterics for the Hysterics, no E, no I, but the sometimes, sometimes why, why there may be a live feed that happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There might be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I might, I might instead of a butt dial, I might butt live tweet. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, what are you if you had to pick out? maybe three storylines, I won't make you do one, but three things that you want to hear coming back, not that you want to hear good, but that you're just the storylines that you are most interested in finding out some information on. What would those three things be? Well, what I'm really
0: excited to figure out, and I don't expect this, this assessment to be done after two games against a bunch of grown ass Serbians is Woody's talking about two teams, right? Like who's who's the first five, who's the second five, a la the NBA. You got your first unit, your second unit. And I'm curious if after two games, you're going to start to get a feel for what that is. Because I think the biggest point of it for Woody is to, to play around with that. So I don't know if you're really going to see things start to click, but okay, who are those starting five? Did he stick with them for a while? Did they start the second game? And then if you're seeing kind of more of a second unit where it's almost like five new guys out there for the last eight minutes of the half. What's that look like?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm with you, like just the rotations. What, what are those? It's our first inkling into who is performing best in practice, because I do want to take a, a slight tangent here and we'll go back to your other two storylines, but the big kind of thing that happened in Indiana basketball this week was coach Woody did a press conference Correct. where You know, he did about 20 minutes of answering questions, which was mostly about what does the team look like, right? What do you see so far? And here is what I would say my recap would be. If somebody was asking me, hey, I didn't get to see the press conference, what did Woody say? Or let let me rephrase. Not what did Woody say, what was the news that came out of it that was useful? I would say the news that came out of it that was useful was Woody saying, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, (laughs) because because all the rosy stuff that people are like pulling out of like the stuff where he talked about. Well, uh, there was a point where Parker was the best player in the gym. Like, guys, everyone relax. Woody is really smart on this kind of stuff. He's big. And we've heard this now from basically every coach we've talked to Ward, Dane, Kenya and Yah that confidence is like the single biggest thing they're focusing on with so many of these guys. Rob Finney, yeah. Christian Lander, Parker Stewart, Trace, having confidence in his shot. You know, all these guys, it's about confidence. They use these press conferences that cost them nothing to help with that. Sure. They do. So I don't get like, oh my God, he said Parker Stewart was the best player in the gym. Come on. I mean, come on. Like, I just... The only thing I really took from it was we got a lot of work to do. And I think they realize it's a big project, what they're taking on right now.
0: Another thing I took from it is that he has been in
1: Xavier's ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, that's a good point, though. I mean, it was hilarious that he said it. And he got, you could tell Woody got loose as the thing went on. Mm-hmm. The cursing started a little bit more. Yeah. The colloquialism started a little bit more. But I actually thought that was one of the more honest things he said, like he is all over him. And to me, that means because he's my guy. I think it's because he's my guy and he can take it. Yeah. 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 And sure. and you
0: get, you get from X, like he could dish it out. He could take it. And you know, th- that's one of the keys to being a great coach is knowing what bu- uh, buttons to push on what guy. And I was like, okay, X, X likes to be coached.
1: The other thing I took from it is please, before you roll cameras, tell Woody what an opening statement is. <laughs> you, like I, I we watched it. I'm sure to get are the same feed, pigs, but all the the media covers it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't they don't release the same exact video. They cut off the beginning or cut off the end. Yeah, I hope everyone saw that. It was hilarious to me. <laughs> Start with opening statements, and uh, then you know take questions, and you just see Coach Woody go opening statement (laughs) like he thought it was like the state of the union like just just a tip before the cameras roll tell him what you're gonna do like just give him a heads up he hasn't been doing this for 20 years at the college level he doesn't know how you operate so anyway
0: but but also what a one note i would have for those in charge of these things is why why don't you have dr larry rink eating snacks behind woody I know during each of these, I agree. It just provides, especially for those watching the thing, something to look
1: at while questions are being asked. Yeah. Look, I also think like, I mean, I just want to produce some more. I do. Like oh. I want them to be in assembly hall, like do them in assembly hall. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, anyway. All right. So let's go back. So first one is rotations. You're yep. really curious to see that. Number two camaraderie. Like, uh, okay. cause you're going to see the guys, not just on the
0: court. I think that's important too, but you'll see them around, you know, I think, you know, even coaching staff and like, are they all kind of like, because we know that a big part of this is yes, get the extra practices, see what they look like in real game situation, but bonding, right. We all know from the big trip from, from the great wall of China, that that's a huge part of, of the bonding, the chemistry, the camaraderie that, When the chips are down late in the Big Ten season, do you have
1: your brothers back or are you going to kind of all do your own thing? I would tag on to that camaraderie off the court and on the court. Like, I want to see, are they louder? Are they louder? Are they more? And not
0: just like. Is somebody grabbing them all and saying, hey, get in here, guys. We got to get our shit together.
1: Yes. Not just patting them on the ass like, great job, high five after a dunk. But like when things aren't going well, is somebody pulling them together? I think because we haven't seen that for four years. Yeah. Um, at least uh, last one, Third style,
0: st- style of play on both ends of the court. What, what, you know, even if it's going to be rough and choppy and they're going to be confused and make mistakes, hopefully you will see on both ends of the court where it's going.
1: Yeah. I'm with you there. I just want to see more free flowing guys out there spacing, like, you, you want to see some of the stuff that Woody was preaching in, in his press conferences about style of play. I'll add one, the newcomers. I mean, that's like the most exciting thing every year for me. That's why I love Hoosier hysteria. You're like, you just want to see the newcomers. And this year, I mean, we've got a bunch with different styles from Tamar, the hotshot prospect, to Miller, Kopp, and Xavier, big-time transfers, and Michael Doerr, to Parker Stewart, a transfer that sat out last year. Like, I just want to get a sense for them. I, the, the most fun thing about college basketball is, and the way you follow it when you're a fan like we are and so many people that are watching this or listening to this are, is you feel like you get to know these guys. And, and I, this is the fun part where we get introduced to them for real for the first time. So I'm as just excited as- to see them yeah in terms of like just how do they move
0: you know the the finally the eye test where it's not tipped and edits putting together the best of their you know senior year aau circuit uh i i will say uh on writing on the the wake of that is like who is anybody to your eye in two games going to have taken a noticeable leap in their game from last year like like Jordan would be the one I would want to see like stroke a couple from the outside and just really know exactly what he's doing out there. So it'd be, uh, hopefully there'll be a couple of those guys. Rob is another example of, Oh yeah. Rob actually looks
1: a lot more comfortable now
0: running in something that's a
1: little more open. I, I put Rob lower on the list only because we've seen really good Rob and really bad Rob. And we've seen it sometimes game by game you know now last year it got more consistent that we didn't get good rob but but it's going to take me a dozen games till i feel good about rob you know but, what i mean but
0: but because of all right coach woodson's been in there and the staff has been supporting what he's been preaching and to me it's like all right the difference between the offense they were running before and now is like, okay, you're, you're a pianist and you're playing off a sheet music and you got to play every note just right, you know, but, uh, or maybe are you going to do more like jazz? You're going to free float, you know, and you have a structure, but then you can just kind of do your thing. So with somebody like Rob, who's especially kind of like in charge out there, is he going to immediately start to flourish when he can just riff as opposed to hit every note in time.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the two guys I'm most interested in seeing in, in the regard of improvement year, last year to this year, I want to see if Trace's game's expanded at all. I want to see, is he going to shoot mid-range jumpers? And not just one. Like, is he going to try to step out and shoot a few more of those in a game? And, uh, and is he going to use a right hand at all? Sure. I, I want to see that. And Lander, like I still have this, you know, hope that Christian's talent will rise to the top and and talk about a guy who could benefit from a free-flowing, you know, jazz offense. It seems like that's what Christian is built for. So I'm excited to see that. I'm just excited to be around Indiana basketball, man. I mean, it has been so long since we've been around Indiana basketball the purdue game right when coach knight came back. yes yeah that, I mean, and that was awful basketball that was awful that was awful basketball so i'm just excited to be around it again i'm excited to see fellow pigsters and other hoosier fans who are down there sporting their iu beach gear uh and uh yeah i'm just really excited to be around it again and it feels like okay this is the start of a new era totally uh, for reals We got a big announcement to make regarding the announcement that we made last week about the Hoosier Hysterics NIL collectives. Go ahead.
0: Uh, Well, you obviously gave me a sneak preview of this yesterday, but we haven't actually spoke. We've just texted since then. So I eagerly anticipate uh, this announcement along with our listeners and really just for a more in-depth catch-up, what's been going... Because really, we just kind of touched on it, announced its beginning last week, and it's a colossal undertaking that you're leading here.
1: So yeah, catch us up to speed on all this stuff. All right, so I'll delay the announcement a little bit here. But just to give everybody who either heard last week and didn't get the full details or didn't hear last week, we have launched this collective. The idea of the collective is for us, the fans of IU, alumni, Fans, businesses, donors, boosters, anybody who cares deeply about the future success of Indiana University Athletics, who wants to have a direct impact on affecting that future, we want to pool all of our financial resources into one centralized place so that we can then make impactful NIL deals with student-athletes at Indiana University. Let me say a couple things right off the bat. It is 100% above the board. It is playing by all the rules that the NCAA has let uh, has laid out, which are minimal, by the way, and the ones that Indiana University has laid out, which are comparably minimal, as and, they and, should
0: be right now. And there's absolutely zero rules la- laid out by the Indiana State
1: Legislature. Correct. And zero laid out by the federal legislature. So... It's a bit of the Wild West, but what we are doing falls squarely within the parameters that everybody has laid out. And that's not just me or Ward saying it. We've gone to lawyers. We're bringing on lawyers and retaining their services to help us with the fund, to make sure it's all above board. We are collecting financial resources, money, from all these different resources. We've set up a Venmo account. The Venmo ID is at Hoosier Hysterics nil and in this case you spell out hysterics <laughs> we got it we got it <laughs> at hoosier hysterics nil you can search for it it's labeled as a business under uh, venmo so if you're searching that's where it is you can easily donate or not it's not donation i want to make that clear this is not tax deductible this is not charity this is instead of you spending 25 dollars for a t-shirt or by the way or in addition to this is You spending money because you know it's going to go to the players. And in turn, that's going to affect future players, recruits, from looking at it going, holy cow, Indiana's got a whole 700,000 alumni fan base behind this thing. There's resources that I'm going to benefit from when I go to Indiana University. So that's what we've done. I
0: I like to compare it to, like, the ultimate Kickstarter, right? The ultimate crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, where – we can like small amounts, large amounts, can all come together, make this big impact. And it would be great for you to do it because you love Indiana and you just want to help these kids who don't have time to have a job at college, like a lot of people need to have uh, because they're so busy playing basketball for us and trying to make grades that you can come in and help them there. But if that's not enough, just realize that there's somebody at Kentucky, there's somebody at Kansas, there's somebody at North Carolina who is putting up the dough for their current players. So future recruits can see that. And so if you're not doing it out of love, do it out
1: of fear, do it out of hatred. Yeah. Even better. (laughs) Yeah. Hatred is a great motivator, but, but I do, you know, it's a great point because here is what is happening at these other schools. Many of them, the money that was the dark money before, has now been brought to light and they are couching it as NIL and they can, they absolutely can. That is what's happening. in A lot of these places And Indiana, we are behind in that because look, I'm sure people want to argue this. We didn't have the dark money the way that these other places did. We did not play the games that SEC football teams did. We did not play the games that Kentucky basketball or LSU basketball or Alabama basketball or Duke basketball or Duke. Yeah, I mean, we didn't or Kansas. Look, there is a dark underbelly to collegiate athletics. There always has been. Indiana, for the most part, and the vast majority of our modern history, did not play those games and did not play it nearly at the level as these guys. So when the NIL came out and now basically legalized a way for businesses and donors to get money to players in exchange for a reciprocal marketing promotional uh, arrangement, that's what they did. The dark money just used the NIL umbrella. We don't have that. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I, we are, and I can't tell you how thankful I am. We've gotten hundreds of contributions from $5 all the way up to five figures. Okay. So big money has, we need big money here because we are competing against Alabama announced that their quarterback has made over a million dollars and he hasn't taken a snap. Kentucky is raising hundreds of thousands of dollars per player. We need your help to make this happen. In addition, we're also acting as a broker, if you will, for businesses. If there is if you own a small business in Indiana or you know someone who owns a small business in Indiana and or any business in Indiana, and you want to do an NIL activity, you want to do an autograph signing, you want to do an appearance, you want to do um, a meet and greet, you know, you want to do a dinner, you know, with a player or players from Indiana at any sport. Bar mitzvah. If you want, if you want one of these yes. guys to show up for a bar mitzvah. <laughs> I mean, we are talking Indiana here. So, I mean, you, you commun- went there. Communion. <laughs> communion. Sure. Um, Quinceañera. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> If you want that and you don't know how to make that happen, come to us. The Hoosier Hysterics NIL will work with you on what your budget is. We'll be the middleman to get the player. We'll make the arrangement. And I have great news there. We've already done it for four players. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to announce those yet until they, they actually happen out of respect to the businesses and the players. But four players have made NIL deals through the collective where they're going to make real money. Like for a college kid, it's real money. For anybody, it's real money. And so we're super, super excited about that. It's starting to get traction and the attention we're getting is great. And that leads to the announcement today. Oh, buddy. We put it out on Twitter. Maybe the most famous IU alumni around, alumnus around today, would you say? Yes, I would. We have the full throated support for the Hoosier Hysterics NIL Collective from none other than Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban. <laughs> I mean, he is a staunch supporter of NIL. He knows that this is where it's at. He loves what we're doing and he fully supports it. And we hope to have him on the podcast in the coming weeks so that he can talk about it.
0: But wait, let, let's if, if we had brought Hoosier Hysterics NIL onto Shark Tank, did you just say Broughton did I
1: I think you might have said Broughton cool I kind of like it I like the word Broughton yeah if we brought if we brought in Hoosier Hysterics on Shark Tank
0: if we had brought Hoosier Hysterics onto the television show Shark Tank Mark Cuban would have been real happy with our business model
1: (laughs) I think what's more likely is he would have been like for those reasons I'm out Um, we'll see we'll see but he would have been really encouraging we know for sure he would have been encouraged he would have been encouraging but mark cuban is on board with hoosier hysterics nil collective if mark cuban is on board round him up everybody we need every person and by the way this is not something that ends after like we make five deals six deals like this is the future we need to make this pot as big as possible to make significant deals for basketball football women's basketball like we want to spread the wealth we're going to focus right now on basketball nil deals and maybe a couple football deals but as we get bigger we're going to spread it over the various sports but what i can tell you so far it's a week old outside of our podcast and two tweets that's all the promotion we've done so far there's going to be more to come but we are ecstatic about the response a huge thank you to anybody who's given uh, to the hundreds of you who have given already. Thank you. If you can give again, go for it. Well, if you can send I it think, to somebody, I think
0: that's yeah. I think that's crucial because it's like, please give what you can right now. We need to catch up with these other schools who already have this money established from years prior and are just switching it over to this. But then also think about, uh, okay, what what can I give on a regular basis? Just like. Five bucks a month. Every month, I'm going to do it because that's what I can do. 50, 500, whatever. If you can make it a part of your your budget, uh, then that's the kind of stuff where moving forward, we can really know what we can count on. And then if like some mana from heaven comes in, somebody hits the lottery and they want to give a big chunk to us. Great uh th- all the better but it's almost like month to month season to season to know what we can count on coming in so we can tell the players what what is going to go out
1: i it's a hundred percent the other announcement i want to make is community cars in bloomington and surrounding areas our good friend evan martin who's a hoosier hysteric uh, and, a, and a great guy just a great guy Evan Martin and Community Cars are squarely on board with the Hoosier Hysterics NIL Collective. They've contributed, and they are on board, and they like what we're doing, and they are... uh, I I love it because it is a Bloomington family-owned business. That has been
0: supporting Indiana Athletics since before we were born.
1: Yes. I mean, Evan's dad, you know, who started the company, and now Evan, who's, who's taken over for the company it is a part of Indiana basketball. It is a part of the community of Indiana athletics, not just basketball, football, soft uh, baseball, softball, volleyball, they go to everything. And they are squarely in our camp as well. So we need to keep the momentum rolling on this thing. And we And we really, of course, we
0: focus on basketball. That's how this whole podcast started. But if you're like us, and you've never been more excited about Indiana football, and you know that Coach Tom Allen, even, even before something like this, was going down into Florida and snagging some kids away from the SEC. Well, it, his job got that much harder with all of this, this coming into the new age post-July 1st. So if you want to help Tommy Allen and that crew keep rolling, th- there's another place your money's going to go.
1: And it's a great point because what's interesting about Indiana football recruiting, the players that they have recruited, that Tom Allen has recruited for the most part, are not guys that would have commanded once they became players, big NIL deals, you know, um, on paper, you know, obviously Michael Penix has turned into a superstar and and clearly could command some, some sizable deals. That's, that's great. But, but they have made a living out of getting three stars and coaching the hell out of them. And here's the team we have. Now we're getting into more four-star territory where we have more four-star recruits than we've ever had. Those are the guys, the four and five stars. As the program continues to escalate and improve, so is the recruiting. Well, as you move up the recruiting rankings, you're going to start hitting guys where NIL is a deal for them. That is a big deal. And they're going to want to know and be able to look at the school and go, oh, look at the NIL deals that they have already. I know that there's opportunity for me there. So yes, we are absolutely, we have an eye there as well because we know how big of a deal it is.
0: And a quick side note, I was hanging out with a friend two days ago who went to the University of Georgia and to just be able to sit there and have a football talk with them about this upcoming season and just to be so proud. And in this like, oh, yeah. And, you know, these are this. We got our defensive coordinator, you know, from you guys and all that kind of good stuff. Right. Did I say that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The defensive coordinator. For- yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Charlton. Charlton Warren um and uh and and just you know to talk about the recruiting and to even talk about Tom Allen's history and all that kind of stuff it was like I'm sitting here with the Georgia Bulldog which in the Kirby Smart era has come back up to like that very next tier right below Sabin and Dabo and and Ryan Day and it's like whoa yeah man I like we could end up playing you guys in a ball game this year. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like insane. That, that's so real. So, yeah, let's, let's help that train keep on chugging down the tracks.
1: We are 25 days away from the Iowa game. 25 days away from Indiana football opening at Iowa. In, I, I haven't looked at the full schedule. It's got to be one of the premier games of opening weekend. For I mean, sure, it's be two top twenty teams, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it is a with, with huge conference implications, with CFP in you know playoff implications. I mean, it's crazy, but and but, and some bad blood from last year, and some bad blood. By the way, can we announce yet
0: where we're doing our uh, event? We are definitely having an event on September fourth. I did not. Speak to the right person to confirm okay. that, but it's looking good. Tentatively pencil in if you're in the Los Angeles area, Golden Road Brewery for the Iowa game. If that changes, tune in next week and we'll let you know. We'll tweet it out. There'll be plenty we'll put of it time. on Twitter.
1: Yeah, we'll put it up for like you said. Yeah. We'll we'll announce it on peaks. Obviously, you know we've never we don't get to do these in California much, but. There's a nice little alumni base in the Southern California area. A lot of LA people, a lot of San Diego people. Um, I talked to a couple of people this morning who are in uh, Pacific, pa- uh, not Pacific Palisades. Um, uh, where is the, the, where the 110 is? That where the 110 hits the ocean down there. Oh, like San Pedro? Lunch. Close. Yeah, what's, yeah, no, San Pedro. Oh, what's right uh, Palos Verdes? Yes, Palos Verdes uh, that they're in. So they're coming uh, to the event. So uh, we'll keep you up to speed there. Sorry for everybody else in Bloomington, but you guys will have plenty of fun in Bloomington. Hey, hey you're welcome to Come on out.
2: The water's fine.
1: Hey, we fly to Bloomington. You guys fly <laughs> out to us now. Um, I'm just super excited to see the game and I'm already nervous for it because there are so many implications in that game and then add in the bad blood on top of it. But you just don't want the momentum to be stunted at all. And there is so much momentum for this program right now. The nice
0: thing is I feel like, of course, this team's gonna, gonna suffer a loss or a setback, but because of the culture, because of the philosophy, I just don't see a Tom Allen, Indiana football team getting knocked down and staying down. You know, that that it's going to be it's going to be something where I think even in this season, I mean, sure, we all want to go undefeated. But say we lose a game or two, I just don't worry about then everything crumbling. Um, And that's what I tell myself to not get too freaked out before the first game of the season and the second game of the season and the third game of the season, because every game
1: is going to feel momentous because it will be. It will be. And look, this is, um, I wish I didn't have this concern, but I want us to put asses in seats at Memorial Stadium. and season ticket sales are up. They're They're up up. about 30%, but, but let's be honest, it it is a significant increase. It's nowhere near sold out. Sure. Like it's, it's not, we we're starting at a very low bar. 30% increase is incredible. But if we win that Iowa game, It will be an explosion of support when, when, when we win that Iowa game. And then we play Idaho, which is not a great team in our first home game. We need to pack Memorial stadium for the first home game to say, thank you to Tom Allen and this team for what they did last year, which we didn't get a chance to do, except for a few people who were able to make it to Tampa for the bowl game, but no home attendance last year. The IU fan base has not been able to see this football team play in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. And we need to show up and buy tickets. And by the way, Ward, we will be giving away tickets to that game. That's right. That's right. We can't make it, but
0: some lucky listeners will.
1: Yeah. So we'll tell you um, as we get closer how to win those tickets. But they're good seats. Good seats at Memorial Stadium. And uh, that's going to be – I I just – I want to live vicariously through the people that are there for that game to, to cheer your asses off to thank this program for doing what it's been doing for the last several years and this is our chance to do it
0: yeah and and or just be selfish about it just say you want to go see your school stomp on another school everybody else be damned just be real selfish be like yes i want to be there and see it with my own eyeballs and oh yeah it helps it continue to be
1: now one of the premier football programs in the nation i'm with you all right man We did part one several weeks ago. And the second we put it, the second we released news that we were doing it, people were like, when's part two coming out? And after I think people heard part one, they were clamoring for part two as were we. Yeah.
0: Sometimes, sometimes part twos are like, oh, and then we're going to discuss your NBA playing career. So there's like less of a sense of an urgency and like many months can go by. But then when you get to it, you get to it. But this one, we like halfway through the Indiana tenure was the end of part one. So we did, we did have to do part two soon. And I'm so glad we did
1: me too uh, he was generous again with his time and generous with just his spirit of being open and and transparent and not shying away from any uncomfortable question and before we just roll it I do want to go back to that great song Aruba Jamaica Bay, who I want to you know take you yeah Kokomo. where is
0: where is Kokomo it's right in between Peru and Indianapolis I
1: know I know
0: is I can't believe they wrote a song about it Oh for sure, for sure. Yeah, because you know, that's where they invented the the horseless carriage. Delco has a great footprint there. Yeah, they were def the Markland Mall and there's a great rallies there. They were singing about Kokomo, Indiana. All right. Where's the real Kokomo? I don't think it exists. I think they made it up. I I think probably That's
1: true. I mean, I'll look it up
0: right now. Kokomo. The Island of Kokomo?
1: Aruba? jamaica ooh it? i wanna take it to bermuda bahamas Bahama. come, come
0: on pretty mama key largo baby, baby why don't
1: Montego. we go down to well, we'll get there well, fast and, and, and then we'll take it, it slow is
0: that's where, where we want wanna go, go way down in kokomo okay although phillips pictured kokomo as a place off the florida keys there really is no kokomo in south florida there is a kokomo charters in sarasota a kokomo city in indiana a kokomo in the fiji islands hmm, and a community named kokomo in hawaii but the music video was filmed in florida so I guess the best guess what, would what, be,
1: what, it was, what was your first line that you said? Although something said, it's- Phillips. I think he's uh, whichever one of the- Oh, Beach,
0: boys. Oh, beach Boy. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I guess it wasn't Brian Wilson. Well, why would they say all the real places and then make up Kokomo? because that's the ideal right all these other places probably have something like dysentery or you know yellow fever and kokomo was the ideal paradise there's absolutely nothing wrong with kokomo which is again very much like kokomo the city especially now they they built the bypass so you don't get stopped at off the traffic lights when you're you're driving to peru from
1: the airport all right well that's a great run but i think you're misreading the song he he is praising those other places. But but where does he really want to go? Kokomo. He says Bermuda, Bahamas. He says how does it start? <laughs> I think we've sang it enough Aruba, uh, Jamaica, Jamaica. Ooh, I, I want to take, take you it to
0: Bermuda.
1: Bermuda. He's Bahama,
0: saying I want to take you to Bermuda to and Bahamas um uh yeah no i look they're all great places they're all great places but the song's named kokomo it's the best place
1: all right well here's what i know in about 41 hours i'm going to kokomo i'm <laughs> going to my personal kokomo and i'm excited as hell to do it and i will report back next week on everything follow us on twitter at hoosier hysterics for the hysterics no e no i but the, but the sometimes, sometimes why y- let's roll part two you know you do on the twitter up top a lot now in the intros yeah, because people need to know.
0: <laughs> All right, here we go. Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, we felt so lucky, so fortunate to get to speak with this gentleman one time. But you can imagine what kind of cloud nine we're on right now that he actually <laughs> agreed to come back and do more of this. <laughs>
1: Eric one of the rare, one of the <laughs> rare people who talks to us for a couple hours and decides to come back. Who who is this brave man? Uh, Listen, we did the long intro last time. Here's what I'll say. Two Big Ten championships, outright Big Ten championships, number one team in the country, sweet 16s, countless top draft picks, including several for Indiana University. He's been to the Final Four. He's won at multiple places. I mean, he quickly became one of our favorite people that we've ever talked to because he talked to us for a couple hours. Please welcome back to the show, Tom Crean.
2: Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, so,
1: so how are you doing?
2: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. It's um, uh, we just finished our last summer workout the other day and our players are leaving town today. it being Wednesday, August 4th. And then they'll come back uh, on the 16th and 17th of August. We'll start school the 18th. And uh, so I'm fine. Just bu- busy working with recruiting and recruiting Zooms and planning visits and and studying basketball and things like that. So it's good. So with, I, w- I was going to say with all that good stuff, when we spoke to you last, and I
0: must say the response to your last conversation with us was incredible, overwhelming, yeah. uh, like just, just the pure numbers of people who tuned in uh, the response, the comments, everybody was so pleased to hear what you uh, had to say. And we're excited that you were going to come back. Um, but at that time, we were we were just entering into the NIL age, and now so quickly it's upon us. And you talk about recruiting, recruiting visits, all that kind of good stuff. How has it affected your
2: life in the first month? Well, I think I think it's more what you hear and less what you see uh, at this point. Though it is moving, there's no doubt about that, and. and It's one thing to hear about how uh, young people, whether male, female, you know, depending on the sports, what kind of deals they're getting, whether you read about it on Twitter, whether you read about it in a publication, whether you read about it in the news, whether you hear about it from another coach. I think Nick Saban made a ton of news when he talked about his quarterback being in a million dollars and everything that we've been able to hear is that is exactly right. And and, and it just kind of shows what it is that, 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 that the harder part for me is looking at it and knowing now that there are coaches or uh, alleged to be coaches that are promising certain figures in this where we're really not supposed to have any involvement in it. And um, there are different agreements being made. And I think it's it's going to be such an open-ended daily process of watching it and figuring out how it all goes. And it, and it still goes back to the beginning of this, that if there would have been more of of some rules laid down more of, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do, uh, from the very beginning. And they would have planned it out even better. There'd be less trepidation on it. But I think anytime you have people that, that do this job and they cheat for a living, it just gives them another way to do that. And, and, uh, and everybody says, well, can't you get in the game with the NIL? Well, yeah, we can get in the game, but now you, you, you can't promise kids dollar figures, right? You can't promise them that they're going to make X amount of dollars. And, and so there's a whole other entity that's out there, but it's just, it's part of it. You just deal with it, right? And, it, and if you look at it in a negative way, well, you're going to be really unhappy. If you look at it in a Pollyanna way, well, you're going to be unhappy at some point. You've got to look at it in a realistic way that we really don't get it. So let's do everything we can do to educate the players, which I believe we're doing. Let's do everything we can do to help them set up uh, for success, you know, with how, the, how they set up their social media how they view it let's, let's continue to help them understand. And I've said this since I've been a head coach that these guys are walking resumes. I mean, everywhere that they are, I mean, think about Indiana. I mean, you're a walking resume every time uh, you walk out that door, whether you're playing in front of 17,000 fans, whether you're walking to class, whether you're at the mall, whether you're in Indianapolis, whether you see somebody at a restaurant, you're a walking resume. And I think more than ever, that's what it is now. And so just doing everything that we can do inside that education process, watching how the rules come about as we go through this, not trying to pull your hair out. When you hear about a school, that's making a promise and you're trying to recruit the same kid. Mm. And you already know that they're doing stuff on the side to begin with. And you don't want, what we don't want this to do is turn into Ozarks, right? We don't want this to turn into uh, <laughs> complete money laundering and, and, I watched that Netflix show, and there's sometimes I wish I hadn't, because now you have a better understanding of how people launder money. I know, but you definitely it definitely gave is me some ideas. Is. Yeah, it is what <laughs> it is, and we just got to deal with it the best that we can and and uh, compete in every area that we can. But we've had a really good summer. Our guys got a lot better. I love that. We've got a really good group, and so I'm excited to – I have a couple of days to get ourselves ready for when they come back.
1: I'm curious, Coach, on the recruiting trail, which you were just on. You know, with July ending, I know you're doing visits and, and have been doing visits, but but going out and, and evaluating and and the visits that that happened in June and and will happen now in August, are recruits or their families or their people around them asking you about NIL? Are they saying what does Georgia have planned here? Is that is that part of the equation? Well, it's
2: kind of come up. We had July where kids uh, couldn't be on campus, right, right, and and so June not as much but I think it will come now as they start to come uh, on unofficials again this month and start their official visits. So there's no question. A, a person in this industry said something uh, recently that was really smart and it's scary. He said, eventually it's not going to come down to the visits. Said, you're going to be able to do the visit in 15 minutes. Cause it's going to come down to how much. Mm. And I don't truly believe that, but the more stories that you hear, um, And again, again, like that's what I said, it's more what we're hearing right now, not necessarily what we're seeing. You know, as as every day goes by, there'll be more things to see. But the problem is what you hear. And, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So um, I think that's all part of it. But, yeah, I, I think we have to be able to say that we're doing everything we can possibly do to help these guys and put them in every environment that we can legally to help these guys and at the same time, you've got to recruit because not only of the NIL, but because of the portal and situations like that. Like we'll tell kids that you're not going in with predominantly 18, 19 and 20 year olds anymore. When you go into a college more often than not, you're going to be going in with some 20, but a lot of 21, 22, 23 year olds. That doesn't mean there's not going to be other 18 and 19 year olds. There will be right. Cause everybody's going to sign freshmen. I don't know anybody that won't. Maybe there will be some that will be outliers that won't sign freshmen. But because of the portal, you're going to be going in and you're going to be competing against older people. Well, you're not only competing with them physically, you're competing with them mentally. So the mental toughness, and more so than ever, uh, it comes down to three big things that you've really got to lock into in recruiting. Number one, you've got to look for a maturity level. And that's really, really hard when, when, uh, when you're offering and, and signing guys at su- such a young age, but you've got to do your best job with that. You've got to look at an efficiency level. And, and we use a lot of examples, and we certainly use a ton from Indiana. I mean, Victor Aladipo is a great example of where you want the game to be, but where you're very fearful that it's going to be anymore. And the fact that he stayed three years. Now, again, he only had one scholarship offer out of high school, but he only started five games as a freshman. Well, his improvement level was out of this world. He went from shooting 14% in the Big Ten as a soft to 47%. He had a 20% to 44% overall jump that year. He shot 64 and a half percent from two as a junior. His level of efficiency was enormous. I think going into February, I don't remember the exact date, but I think he was the leading field goal percentage guy in the country as a guard.
1: No, Wait wait a minute. Are you reading those stats or do you have those? No, i
2: memorize those because I use them in recruiting. (laughs) I'm I'm looking right at you. If I I need to read anything, I'll go to a file. But no, I, I know those things. And... And, and his efficiency, like he played 28 minutes a game. He scored just under 14 points a game, but yet he was the second pick in the draft. Yeah. If yeah. you, th- I mean, we lost a guy at Indiana because the kid and his dad uh, didn't like the fact they wanted to play so many more minutes and they didn't like the fact that Victor Aladipo had only played 28 minutes a game. Now, there were other factors involved uh, in that recruit. Who lost
1: a kid? A recruit
2: or a kid? Oh, yeah. Player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it was more about the minutes. And more about that. And this is back in Indiana now. And this was a, 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 right after Vic's heyday, that they wanted to play so much more. Cause I would, I would promote, like, hey, this is about efficiency. Victor's played 28 minutes a game. Cody, I think, was between 30 and 32. But like in big nights, they could go 37, 38 minutes if oh. they had to. Right. And, and, um, those were all really, really important things. I had an NBA guy tell me early on, and this is why you listen to experience more than you listen to people that are writing it with you sometimes. He said, the last thing you want to do with Cody Zeller is have him get beat up inside night after night, because it's going to wear him down with how young he was. And the whole thing was, yeah, he can play inside, but you don't want him just inside. You don't want him being in a sumo wrestling match every night in that league. And that was like really good for me because we were already working on building perimeter skills in our bigger guys, like we did with Cody but it also made me really adjust on a day-to-day basis. Like, okay, we don't want him getting beat up, banged, you know, uh, popped here and there because there's going to be enough of that in the big 10 games. Right. I mean, let's go to Purdue and let's go to Michigan state. I mean, that's what it's going to be like, but at the end of the day, the fact that we didn't have him in the side all the time, the fact that he did build his perimeter skills, the way that he did, it helped him. It helped enhance his MBA, you know, uh, stock in his career. And so Efficiency matters, right? Maturity matters. And then the third thing to go with maturity and efficiency that is so big is you've got to have an edge. You've got to play with an edge. Well, I say all that because you got to really, really stay true to that in recruiting right now because it doesn't matter what's changing. It doesn't matter if the portal, the NIL, that doesn't matter. What it takes to win has not changed, right? So like, you got to stay true to what it takes to win and you've got to keep looking at that no matter what the age of the person is. So, like it's kind of exhilarating to be honest. We've we've definitely backed off guys when we were able to go see them live in July, and we've added other guys because we saw things in them maybe we didn't see before or we hadn't seen them. And so it's a it's always evolving, it's ever changing. And if you're not excited about it, you need to go do something else.
1: I want to ask a quick follow-up to go off topic for a little bit, because I can't imagine a better person to ask this of. You mentioned the 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 beating that you would take in games specifically like Purdue and Michigan state. Sure. One of the things that drives us crazy as fans of Indiana, and it was one of the best things about you and your tenure at Indiana is you changed the way basketball was played in the big 10. You played up tempo, spread out, great spacing, great shooting, offensive minded, fun as hell to watch. Mm -hmm. Overall, the big 10 is brutal to watch. And we have heard that it is in large part because of how powerful Matt Painter and Tom Izzo are in the conference and that's how they want to play. And so that drives the rest of the conference.
2: Is that true? No, I wouldn't say so because Tom has also got a very fast offense. Remember John Beeline was in that league while we were there too. And John didn't play extremely fast in the half court. In fact, his pace was one of the slower paces in the half court. Really efficient Um, though, right? Yeah. Like I think the big 10, I mean, he had a lot of success, Bo Ryan had a lot of success, but, that really helped add to the narrative. It's such a half court league, right? Mm-hmm. And so, no, I don't know if it's that. I think it's just a matter of who people are hiring. I think it's a matter of, of uh, like, there's still a lot of people. You gotta have big guys, you gotta have all this, you gotta have all that. The majority of our bigs, and with the exception of this year, going back to Cody, they're all in the NBA, right? Like the Indiana, Nick Claxton, who is seven foot because we help train those guys as guards we help make them perimeter oriented it wasn't just about the fact that they could shoot the ball okay it was about the fact that they could make decisions Hmm. and what i tried to do is make sure shooting was obviously going to be premium for us but decision making was going to be premium for us and so the more that you develop somebody to play away from the rim and the more that they can guard away from the rim well the more that their versatility multi-dimensional ability goes up and then that makes it harder i mean in some of our best wins were when the bigger kids the bigger guys on those teams maybe at purdue were an aj hammonds or swanigan and those guys had to come out and guard thomas bryan or come out and guard cody zeller or the minnesota bigs like trevor Mbakwe or uh, Knicks at, at Michigan state, you know, Draymond could play outside, but back in the day, he wasn't always comfortable guarding outside. Mm -hmm. Now he's also one of the best defenders in NBA history right now, but he wasn't always like that in college because he was so big and he was around the bucket. And so to me, it's much more about that individual style of the coach. And for so long, the big 10 has built up a narrative because so many coaches were half court smash mouth, Control the game, the Gene Cades, the Bob Knights. Judd Heathcote was an extremely fast coach mm-hmm. with his fast break. When you think about Judd Heathcote, you don't think about fast break. And a lot of times people don't think about that with Tom Izzo, but it is that way, right? It, it, they, but they're also going to carve you up with their half court offense and they're going to be very, very physical with their half court defense. So I think it's just a matter of you staying true to what you want, recruiting to that, and then and then being willing to live with it, you know, when you struggle in it
0: this is so much fun as, as a basketball fan, just for you to spend this time to fill our brains with all this insight. I got to tell you, this is why people went crazy for the last one and are going to enjoy this so much, but red meat for the Hoosiers in particular, that you already touched upon is Cody and Vic. And where we kind of left off last time um, their career at IU was coming to a a close and we've got to ask, what was it like draft night with Cody and Vic and what one of the most special evenings in the history of IU basketball, as far as I'm concerned, or, you know, there's a certain amount of people who, uh, who once they get to the NBA, they're done with
2: them. We're not those people. We, we sure. love our Hoosiers in the NBA. Well, I think for me, I actually wasn't there and I actually been to just one draft now, I did the Yahoo work with Adrian Wojnarowski and the guys at the draft, but it wasn't actually at the site. But I was really only uh, at the actual draft with Dwayne Wade. And, and what happened is, whether I was at Marquette with the Travis Dieners and the Steve Novaks of the world who were second rounders, there's so much work that I feel pressure to do. Um, it's very, very hard to do that around other people. And so <laughs> to me, there, there's, there's a whole system that goes into this no matter where they're at. And we make tapes we make before and after tapes. And so like we were having this discussion in a staff meeting today, like we've got to get kids to see the Victor Oladipo and and Cody Zeller before and after tape, even though most of these kids think they're leaving after one or two years. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you've got to see the improvement level. And so like we make those tapes, we send them to the decision makers. If we know the owner president, like a Mark Cuban, he's going to get it directly, but it's going to go to The general managers, it's going to go to the scouting director, assistant general manager, and it's going to go to the head coach. And so we get all that done. We send that out anywhere from 10 to eight days before the draft. I make a lot of calls leading up even to that time, especially when we're gauging where the interest is. But on that last two days before the draft, it's nonstop. It's me calling, volunteering, anything that they need in the sense, do you have any questions? Now, I'll take calls. Because people are trying to pick my brain on what I'm hearing. So I get I've gotten used to the people. I, I, I can I can tell who's calling me because they just want to get information from me and not give me any back. Yeah. So I play that vanilla game back with them, right? But <laughs> I also talk to the people that really have questions. And what I found out is on that last day of the draft, when they're calling you and you got to be available to that, or when it's right before the draft. I mean, I was on the phone. Uh, with two different teams on the night of the draft with Victor uh, 15 minutes and both teams had top five picks. Okay. 15 minutes before the draft started that night, but calling the teams talking to the different teams, there's already relationship with them. They've already done their homework, but I'm trying to push it over the edge. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It's to me, it's like recruiting. You know, I always felt like if I got a head coach, if I got an assistant coach that gets in the top three I can roll with that. Like if we get in the top two, I can roll with that, right? Like it's the same thing with recruiting. When we get down and we know exactly who we got to beat, what's the same thing in the draft for me? Because frankly, there's so much lying that goes on with with other coaches. And I think that's one of the reasons that NBA people don't always want to reach out to the head coach, but like, I want to try to gain and and engage what other head coaches are saying or not saying, because I want my guy to be the high pick. And so like, I I get to another place with that. And frankly, like that night of the draft with them, I was in town, but then I went to Terre Haute because my son Riley had a summer league game. So I'm in and out of the gym while he's playing summer league while that draft's going on. And then I came home later on and watched it. But it's nerve-wracking for me. You know, I'm not their family, but again, I'm next, right? It's very, very nerve-wracking for me. Um, We knew what was going to happen with Dwayne if Miami had the pick. Uh, when we were there, so it was a little less stressful on the day of the draft. But the majority of these days of the draft, even the year that Thomas uh, and OG went, I don't know if I've ever been busier than than that night. And I mean, really, and I don't know if I've ever been with more phone calls than I was doing a job for Yahoo in the sense of working on the draft. Right. So I was right in the middle of it, but. I love it. And and it's like a big game and it's like a 48 hour big game. And you've done all this other stuff to lead up into it. And I don't know how the other coaches do it, but like I take it extremely personal Mm -hmm. and I don't lie. Right. I don't, I don't always tell everything that I, that, that, that I know, but I don't (laughs) lie. And, and, but I am trying to pick out the lying and then I'll blow it up. If, If I, and we had that happen in a situation with Vic. We really did. And another another coach was was pushing something and telling somebody at the higher end of the draft one thing and telling his buddies another thing. And I found out about it and went to town on that. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I mean, that's recruiting. Right. I mean, that's I I'm not going to lie to the NBA teams, but my responsibility is to the players. Right. And as long as I'm not lying, I feel really good with that.
0: Well, and I just was less about like, you know, being there with them. I I more wonder the moment when they both do get their names called your work is done and your guys, they're the second and fourth pick in the NBA and not just the work you've done in the last 48 hours, but for the last four or five years with recruiting them and bringing them in and developing them. I mean, that's like winning the big game on a night like that, right? It's a sigh of
2: relief. It's a sigh of relief in all honesty. It's like, (laughs) most times when you win the game you're not like all giddy because you win the game and there's times I wish I was more giddy after we won the game I certainly wish I would have been when we beat Michigan at Michigan right when I lost (laughs) my mind right and I know we already covered that so we don't have to go back to that but like I wish I could decompress quicker but it's the same thing with the draft there's a sense of relief You're, you're profoundly happy for them And then it's like a whole new nerve wreck. Okay. Well, what, who do they got to beat out? What do they got to do to be ready for summer league? And it's almost like in a way they have their agents, they have their family, but because you've been trying to protect them all the way, like you really don't want to give that up. Like you want to know when they're leaving, you want to know where they're going to stay. And I've, I've, I've learned to let go of that a little bit more as we go, but like you want that handoff to me, I want the handoff that I give to the other team to be absolutely flawless, the best that I can. Mm-hmm. And that's big to me. And so it, it's a lot more, it's a lot more nerve wracking and detail driven than it is just sit back and, and uh, be excited. But eventually you are. And and then when it really hits for me is when they get to summer league, when you see them in another team and you see them playing, they're still the nervousness of being their coach, but you feel so good that they're in that environment and that, you know, they're moving on. And that, that's, that's when it really hits me.
1: What is the single happiest moment you've had as a head coach? Like if you had I'm to happy. just be
2: one moment where
1: I know you don't get giddy necessarily right after, but what was the moment that made, filled you with the most happiness?
2: I don't know if I have one. Um, there's different, there's different stages of that. Um, I would, it's, it's all, it's, it's never just been extreme happiness without relief, but I would say, I would say because of everything that was going around us and, um, there was so much that was, um, not being said. And I'm going into, I'm going into the last week of the big 10 season and a prominent writer it was in the know. I said, what's the, what's the word? And he said, the word is you got to get to the sweet 16 to keep your job. And, and uh, I never said that publicly. Like I said, this is my book. I'm not doing a book and I'm not going to name the writer, but I'm like, there's no way. And you know what? I don't think he was wrong. And, and that and, and was your and second to last year. That was my year. We won the big 10. So I'm going to, an answer to your question. I'm going to say when we beat Iowa at Iowa, the yogi as three great as so many of those wins were as great as so many of those wins were there's no question that i was dealing with uh another another feeling of internal pressure self-inflicted pressure because of that phone call whether it was right or whether it was wrong because this guy's usually not wrong and and that and and i was affected by that now it didn't affect my coaching it didn't right. affect my coaching we won the game but remember, we had a 10-point lead. They tie the game. Yogi makes that step-back three. Uh, uh, Jock, I think it was Peter Jock, he, he misses that three at the, uh, at the buzzer. We win the game. And, like, it's unbelievable. There's nobody with us, guys. I mean, like, there's no the, – the, the only administrator with us was J.D. Campbell, our media relations director. Like <laughs> sure. we're, There's nobody with us. You're going to win the Big Ten championship. You think somebody's traveling with you. uh it wasn't nobody
1: from athletics a lot of little
2: things made sense to me you know during the during the sweet 16 run stuff like that made sense to me but I love that team right I loved that team I love we had coming back um well I didn't get an extension at the end of that year and which which really uh set me back mentally a little bit but it didn't I mean I had a chance to leave I had some chances I had one offer that was out of this world if I'd have said yes to talking to the school but I didn't do it because I because I was betting on myself. I was betting on that team that we had back. You know, we, Thomas Bryant had just decided to stay in. Like, I love that team. So you can't look back at it and regret it. But there are certain things because of what you're dealing with that you look at it and you say, okay, this means just a little bit more. And to win that Big Ten and to win it outright like we did and know we're going home to Maryland to, for, or going home to celebrate. Because remember, when we lost Ohio State, we didn't get to have our celebration. Right. I took a lot of hits for having those kids cut down the nets. I'd do it again because I, Wait, because really oh, you would. Oh, absolutely. You know why? Because we said at the beginning of the year, we're cutting down the nets, right? Like this, we're going to get ourselves to work cutting down the nets in assembly hall. And then we're going to cut them down in, in the final four. Well, you know what? We didn't get the final four. And I know people didn't like that, but I told those kids we're going to cut those nets down, right? Like they had not cut those nets down. And, and I made that decision I, I wasn't looking for consensus and whether people like it or not, it really doesn't make a difference. Those kids got to cut the nets and I haven't had anybody cut, come back and give me a string that they didn't want to keep because they didn't cut because they cut those nets That's
1: down. That's fair, man. I, I didn't really, you know, as fans being honest, like we were like, that was a weird moment. Like, sure. and, and, and we couldn't understand it but I never thought of it like, I mean, this is why well, these
2: now, great. Now, now we can. Now yeah. we promise them. Like you yeah, I promise them true. that we, you got to have visuals. Like I'm not this big mantra. Let's have a, let's have some slogan every night. Like I like visual management. Like I like signs. I like pictures, but it's not like we're living on some mantra, right? But you do have to have visual images for your team that you continue to remind them of as you go, right? Like I never felt like I needed to be, feel good about myself because I came up with some slogan. Like we have characteristics that we want of the team. We have certain things that we want them to feel, right? But it's so much more about something that they connect to. It's like having a motivational speaker in. I can, we can spend whatever we want to bring any motivational speaker in that we want. But if they don't connect to that speaker, then all it was, was a really good speaker. And they got a couple of photo ops on social media and they forgot about it two days later. But When you bring in somebody, and we have that we had this there, you know, my last two years, they we had a guy named Dave Anderson from Learn to Lead from out in California. The kids connected with him like you couldn't believe, isn't right? Like you could,
1: intentional mindset, yeah,
2: absolutely. It? I mean, you couldn't believe how those kids connected with him. He still has a reunion with the players from that 15 16 championship team every year, really. This year, they had it in Chicago, absolutely. Just but like, I liked, I never met Dave until the moment that he walked into the cook center that was the first time we actually had physically met and we never even talked on the phone the whole thing was set up through twitter and then through texting and he came in so prepared to talk to those guys he knew he he, he it was just it was it was pure brilliance and and i saw why people hired him well it became so much more than that it became a connection and i couldn't have picked that i mean it was right after we got beat by duke and 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 you know, there's calls from my job and there's, there's people killing us and our defense is the worst ever. We ring off a 10-game winning streak, right? right. We beat Moorhead State on a Saturday night. Dave came out on a Friday. I have no doubt in my mind that Dave helped change the energy of our program. And I think that's another thing that as a coach and a leader, you got to be willing to do. you got to understand, you got to have other people that can help change the energy. And, and sometimes it's just something that they connect to. Well, I wanted those kids to see that visual that we're going to win big. And, and, and there's going to be, there's going to be a, a result of that. And that result is cutting down that net, getting a trophy. I and so that. I never got away from it. So, so it's it.
0: both, both cutting down nets and rubber vampire
2: bats. Oh yeah. Well, now that was, that was all Jim, right? Buying yeah, no, <laughs> and the rubber bats was me, <laughs> right? That was my idea. But the vamp, the poisonous vampire bat, <laughs> that was all Jim. So Jim got an assist for that. I think we went 10 and three the rest of the way after go, that. that. So, so he gets I, a big I, assist there.
1: I want to touch on a couple of the things that his fans come up that I'm sure, well, I don't know if they drive you nuts or you just ignore them, but let's take one that ended and then we'll move on from the 12, 13 season. I'm sure you have heard how come we couldn't play against his zone defense. And I always thought personally that this was a silly argument because of course, you know how to play against his zone defense. Jordan Hulls got injured. And by the way, if it was so easy to play against a zone defense, Jim Beheim would have been out of a job 30 years ago, and not one of the best coaches ever. So I think it's a little ridiculous. But I am curious your take on just the narrative that came out after that game. Did that bother you? Did that game stick with you?
2: Oh yeah, but oh absolutely because because um, it did because I wanted that team to win. I wanted us to win. I mean, we wanted to get there we couldn't make shots that night. And 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 when we were struggling against the length of the zone, we had the Jordan situation, which we had really kept private. Um, having smaller guards hurt us that night, but I wouldn't trade those guards for anything, right? And so a, a lot of times against the zone, when you're not making shots, well, you gotta put decision makers and playmakers in the middle of it to me. And we've won, you know, what, what happens is we've had a lot of success Not only making shots, but getting into the middle of the zone, getting to the rim, getting fouled, getting the ball dropped off to the baseline, getting it swung inside out, following it out with a ball screen. And really, and I know we touched on this the last time, but I was really, I was more angry about the officiating. Okay. It wasn't about an excuse making. We were getting fouled in that lane. Well, I needed somebody that had an expert opinion to look at it. And they did. And it didn't make me feel better about losing, but it made me feel better that I wasn't wrong. And then I think I said this the first time i had a coach that coached against Syracuse for a lot of years say, when the referees decide that Syracuse is not fouling in that zone, you're in for a long night. Right. Right. And that's kind of what happened. And it just, um, our guards went zero nine 9 from three. I mean, it was just, it it was a tough night to have a tough night. And, and um, I don't know if there's a lot I would change. Maybe we would shoot more threes but we were putting our best players in the middle of that zone and in the sense of Cody and Cody should have shot more free throws. I mean, he really showed have. I mean, and it just, it is what it is, but the narrative. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that bothered me some because um, the moment you start trying to explain things um, then okay. it becomes excuse making. And that's not really the issue, but I was just disappointed that we couldn't go further with that team. That was one of the most brutal locker rooms I've ever been in in my life. I mean, it well, was absolutely brutal. I mean, it was just brutal, the, the emotion of that room. Terrible.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it was a brutal end to a magical era, truthfully. And that's really what I want to get into. It was the end of an era. It really, was... we didn't
2: guard as well that night, which which mm-hmm. we didn't guard Michael Carter Williams as well that night. We didn't guard the baseline as well that night. And, and um, we weren't playing our best basketball right. at that point, right? Like, we really weren't. We did not play that well in the Big Ten tournament we did not play that well in the uh temple game by right. any stretch and we'd done a lot right like that team had been through a lot so i really backed things off that week and plus a lot of it's because jordan couldn't get hit right and jordan didn't even jordan didn't even get in any five on oh or any of that type of stuff till we actually got to dc and so um it was tough but 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 it, it's it's not an excuse it's just what it was and what? and uh I wish it would have been different, but I also wish we'd have shot about 10 to 12, 14 more free throws. Yeah. That would have happened. I I do, you know, having
0: spoke with a lot of the players on the team, that the the vibe of that whole season was just different from the season before, where the season before it's this upward trajectory, and there's the watch shot and and the unexpected run to the sweet 16, and it was all almost house money for that season. But then you start this season as number one in the country with the target on the back, there's literally nowhere to go, but down. You get yourself in that position again. Is there, is there any other way uh, a team, a coach could approach being the target
2: for an entire season and not let it wear them down by the end? No, I don't know if there is. And this is why this team should probably get even more. And I don't know what the fans think of that team that have watched them for decades. Because that was a really good era, right there, compared to some of Bob uh, Knight's last teams. We right? adore and- those
0: teams. Yeah, we adore no, those.
2: But those teams are no that the Bob Knight era with Calvert and all those guys. Those are that was a good era, and then we had our era there. This team should get an unbelievable amount of respect because the fact their maturity level to handle those expectations. Because remember now, there's the national championship game. All right. There's the Monday night game, and on Tuesday we're being picked by USA Today and these outside entity, other entities, as the number one team in the country. So they lived with the number one projection the entire spring and summer. They had an incredible spring and summer of working. Cody stayed. Vic wasn't on the path of being one of those guys yet. Uh, Christian stayed. Um, it was unbelievable how much better we got. Yogi comes in. It was so much fun to coach that team because of the maturity level. And Mm -hmm. for them to withstand the mental toughness, I swear, I mean, the the mental toughness that Victor Aladipo helped go through in those three years he was there, it's helping him get through all these things now. It's helping him get through those injuries. They're all part of the experience of when you become mentally tough and you have to bring it day after day. And like you said, there's nowhere to go but down. And then the way we recovered from losses. Like if, if I told you some of the stuff that went on behind the scenes, before the Illinois game, when we lose at the buzzer with what one of our players was dealing with, mm. you'd might be mad at me that I even let him play. Now he wanted to play, but he was Can dealing with, give us a little.
1: First, I'm sorry. Can you give us a little of what? No, not about?
2: really. Cause that would be, that's, it's too, it's too deep. Personal but like, there was a personal issue. There was a personal issue that somebody was dealing with, with a home issue. And, and like his mind was nowhere near being able to go play in a college basketball game as the number one team in the country. And, and my point is like, he did it right. Like he did it now we didn't get the result, but like you always deal with so many things that never come up, um, and let inside of a team that, that people aren't just going to know, but they're private inside of the team. And I'm not, they're not necessarily bad things like they, they might be bad things, but they're not criminal or this guy did this. It's just stuff they're dealing with in their personal life, their kids. And, and they're, dealing with, they're dealing with a lot of different adversities. And to get their minds right to play a game when you got that kind of pressure on you, that says a lot about the way that team played. They dealt well, with a lot of expectations.
1: Well, and, and you should rest assured, that team is as beloved as any team. I mean, it, it is. Be. And that era is. And, and look, we've been fans for a long time. There's been very few teams that Indiana has had where you thought we're going to win every single game that the ball gets tipped. And that team, I thought we were going to win every single game. You, there was no game you went into thinking, "Oh man, we've got to play the perfect game." No, 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 no. We're the better team. That's what it felt like that whole year. And that didn't happen. Calbert Cheney was the last time that happened.
0: Certainly. Exactly. You know, and it, and and they didn't get there either. No. But but the way Calbert's teams are thought of by us, the fans, so beloved that's what's going on with the 12 13
2: now that's good sure well their coach we'd gone from being upstart to favorite and we really hadn't done anything to earn favorite right it wasn't like we were coming off a final four appearance and we had a great sweet 16 game against Kentucky who wins it it's a high level game it's it's mm-hmm. it's a highly watched game we're scoring all those points and I'd never been through it right I never started a season number one as, a right. coach, as an assistant or a head coach so been a part of winning but never started a season like that like it's a whole new learning environment when you're going through that but those kids and our staff they did a phenomenal job that year
1: phenomenal it was magical and then the era ends I mean I know Yogi continues and obviously some other players but when you lose Jordy Christian Vic and Cody I mean we all knew the next year was not going to be great
2: yeah you go, and go Derek out and get Elston was a Derek Elston was a big part right. of that team because he dealt with so many injuries but Derek Derek had as much Derek was as much of a connector for laughing with him and being laughed at and and having a connection with everybody on the team and keeping it light a, a, unbelievable unsung hero of those teams and and it's one of the reasons I brought him back on the staff I mean he was just uh he, he, he meant so much and We knew when I got the job, when we dealt with everything we dealt with at the beginning, that at some point in time, we're going to have to start over, right? Like it's going to be another start over. Hmm. And now we get Cody and we know we're going to leave him early or lose him early. And I always thought Victor would be a pro, but I didn't know it would escalate like that, that junior year. And so we lose him and we knew we'd already had the class because I was fully projecting to lose Victor, but not necessarily lose how much of a total impact that he had. I mean, the guy was... Player of the year in three different polls. He was defensive player of the year, first team All American and everything, right? And so it was gonna be hard no matter what. But we lost a lot of maturity and 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 character off that team, which put a lot of pressure on Will Sheehy, put a lot of pressure on Yogi at his age, uh, and others to to have to embark on that.
1: And and then, and you do go out and get Noah Vonley, who mm-hmm. was A singular talent i mean the guy was the the talent level was incredible but you probably know then that it's a one-year deal sure with, with noah how difficult was that for you even though you knew that the rebuild was coming again that you're not back to square one by any stretch but in indiana fans eyes you showed us the promised land and now we're back to you know really struggling against top competition how hard was that year for
2: you really hard because we didn't have the leadership and, and, and Will, Will, it, Will was so good and he still had a really good year, but Will was one of those guys. He was one of the most self driven guys I've ever been around in my coaching life. Right. Will, Will could never understand. Well, he came in with Vic, right? So they were right. both in the gym together, which, and I know we covered this last time, which enabled Jordan halls to be more of who he was, right. Rather than being an outlier, working in the gym a lot on his own, you know, in Maurice Creek outside of when he was injured that year. Well, now we had Vic and we had Will, which made it so much easier for Jordan. Well, we didn't really have that now when, when Yogi worked, but it wasn't like he became as a worker. Uh, Will was in that gym all the time. We didn't have the maturity level. And I think we had some freshmen that were young. They were extremely young and, and, um, they didn't understand the, all the stuff, and it's not their fault. They just didn't understand all the things that those kids had gone through to build that program. Right. And, and, and so when you come in, you you think you're walking into success. Well, no, now success becomes that much harder. And there were many times, I believe we were starting three freshmen. I know three freshmen were playing a lot of minutes on that team. And, uh, and it was hard. I mean, it, it was hard because people were gunning for us more than ever And we lost our maturity in a lot of ways. We lost our efficiency in a lot of ways. We lost our shooting in a lot of ways. And so so it became a little bit more of a struggle. But I do think that team got better. And I think it set the tone for for the year after that. But just as there were maybe unrealistic expectations on that 12-13 team, there was still a, um, those kids deserved a chance to be able to work through that because again, uh, that was our, that was like to start over again after what we did because of everything we lost. Remember, we had to get so top heavy in those first couple of classes. Right. When right. we first took over. And we knew it was coming. You know, we knew it was coming. It, but I'd trade being the teams that we had in those Sweet 16s and the number one to have to start over like that again. I mean, it, it ended up working out. And then we were able to rebound from it pretty well. When you're starting over like that and you have, you know what, yogi
0: can develop into which ultimately he does you have somebody like noah come in a uh, troy who obviously has a lot of talent but is raw do you kind of sit back and, and look at those players and be like i have to reimagine how this team is going to play basketball this year and in the years to come as opposed to the team you just had and reach you know clearly such uh, a level of success you you'd like to just keep doing that again and again but you're not going to have those players back how do you sort of balance between the kind of basketball you want to play but the personnel you actually have
2: well it's two things it's two things it you you have to continue to build them towards where they're going right like you can't you you really do there, there's many a year that i come back and say man i wish we'd have just slowed this down or i wish we'd have just played half court we might have won a couple more games But at the end of the day, it may not have put us where we needed to be. So you have to continue to develop those guys and live through some of the mistakes. You have to continue to find out what they can do. So like Troy was a great example. Troy was an athlete, put pressure on the rim. He was wild. He would turn it over. But man, when he learned to cut and play out of that corner, that brought us something that Victor had, right? Mm -hmm. Now, he didn't necessarily have the Victor efficiency. Well, people forget how wild Victor was as a freshman, right? And when people would see that, that, that tape before and after tape, it's just unbelievably how different he was from how fast and wild he was to how under control and efficient and effective he was with even more speed as he got older. So, you know, that, so you have a vision for that player. And frankly, as a coach, your energy doesn't just come from the individual player and how they're playing on a daily basis. Your energy better come from the vision that you have for them. And I've always felt like that. And, and, It's not about what have you done for me lately? What's it like today? You got to be able to see into the future. And sometimes you have to coach that way. And, and at the same time you got to win the game. And so you're developing guys to fall into a line at at one point, Noah Vonley was shooting in the mid fifties to high fifties from three points from through the three point line during the season. I think Mm -hmm. he ended up 48% as his freshman year. And we just had a lot to, we had a lot we had a lot of kids that became celebrities on that campus uh, because of what other people had done to gain that celebrity, and they weren't ready for that, right? Mm-hmm. We had guys on that team, and some of it's probably you know, fairly well-known. They weren't ready for that, right? So we uh, Will had a huge responsibility as a leader that was much easier for him when he had other leaders in there with him, and it was really hard uh, because with some guys that had to learn the hard way, you know, we had some guys... And, uh, frankly, we had a couple guys that didn't love basketball and love working in that and the gym more than they loved being a celebrity, uh, at the school. And that's not good either, but we worked through it, you know, right. And the next year we go back to the tournament and then the next year is the 15, 16 year.
1: So one thing that happened during that year that I think doesn't get talked about enough, as far as just some things that hurt you going forward was I always really liked Luke Fisher as a player. And I thought that he was a real good building block for you going forward, you know, with with his skill level and the size. And he transfers in in the middle of that year. Um, what can you say about that? And and obviously he was somebody you were high on, or you wouldn't have recruited him. Um,
2: what what can you say about that transfer? Well, I like Luke, and in fact, he sent me. He actually uh, either met his wife at I think he met his wife at Indiana when he was there. Uh-huh. But I saw him playing with the TB team the other night. TBT, Luke Luke had a, a tough first summer. You know, his first time away from home. Um, we probably underestimated that a little bit, you know, how hard that was for him to be away from home. I think we could have done a better job of who we had him around. Um, and, and, and we could have done a better job as coaches, spending more time on that in the summer. Because we were with him all the time in the summer, but I'm not sure we were really reading it. Um, but I think also, you know, he wasn't playing as much early on. I think if you're playing a lot more, maybe you're willing to overlook some of the things that are bothering you. But at the end of the day, I don't blame Luke. It it was not a good fit for him. Um, there were a couple of the guys that, that he wasn't connecting very well with, you know, for different reasons. Uh, it is what it is. You know, he went on and played. I really felt when we signed him that he was going to have a chance to play in the NBA that's kind of how we recruited. Well, it's not kind of how we recruit him. That's definitely how we recruited him. And it didn't work out that way, you know, when he left. But um, I wish, and there was a little bit of injury situation. So there was a couple of things that set him back, but th- those are just part of it. I wish he would have been playing more. So he would have seen more of that vision that we continue to have, but it was a combination of things I think that bothered him and, I do think the fact that he went home and it was pretty quick said a lot about that. You know, he, he wanted to get home. I think you have to really factor that in, but we could have been, we could have been better with him. There's no doubt it. We could, we could have, we could have picked up on some signs earlier. Let's say that. And and there's no question. Were you about to say that he reached out to you somewhat recently? Yeah. Well, no, when he, when he, I think he's married now, but he, he, uh, he reached out to thank me because he would have never met his future wife without that. Yeah. So, I think now more than ever when you've had kids transfer and now as this portal becomes a thing, you can't stay unhappy for very long, right? (laughs) You just can't. And um, um, we did not have very good chemistry on that team. And, and there was some, some combinations that just didn't click that happens. But I do think we could have done a better job of recognizing some things earlier but we had too many players on that team that were thrust in positions that they didn't have to earn because of all those guys that we'd lost.
1: Right. And, right.
2: and uh, I, I do think that factors into it.
1: So if you don't mind, uh, unless Ward, you want to touch on something more from that season, because I think a lot of what you're talking about here with some of the issues and the chemistry issues and guys that weren't ready. It kind of all culminates about 10 months later in Halloween of 2014. you know, uh, 14. Sure. Where, you know, th- there's this horrible accident where Devin Davis gets really injured at the hands of teammates that were, were being immature. And I just want to set the stage because I want you to comment a little bit on a few things here. One is it kind of dovetails into what you were talking about, about motivational speakers, because I'm pretty sure you had a motivational speaker.
2: Oh, yeah. But the night me. of about. No, me. Yeah, it was me for about 35 minutes. And And, and and the only thing that I didn't say is you're not going out tonight. Like I said, and I meant it. I wish that we would have either put them in a hotel, brought them in the gym, had everybody check in at 10 o'clock at night. And now I I, I did not think of doing that. Right. I covered everything, but
1: yeah, why would you, why should everything,
2: but you're going in the room at 11 o'clock. But but coach, so
1: did you sense. I know you can't sense something like that is going to happen. Obviously. But did you sense that these issues that you started to see the year before that there was still something fundamentally, I don't know how else to say broken about this team and something bad was, was
2: bound to happen? No, no, no. no I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that because they got along well, there was an immaturity okay, and, and we were struggling with the celebrity of being an Indiana basketball player. And we were struggling with what that means. And, and, and I've said, you know, I really started to change my recruiting approach after we started to win in 11 and 12 and 12 and 13, like, man, you got to be really mature to come in here. And I didn't always follow my own advice on some of that because sometimes you don't know, right? Like you just don't know. And, and we were struggling with the celebrity of it. We were struggling with, yes, you're going to be put on a pedestal, but that pedestal can be ripped out from under you in a matter of seconds, minutes, it could be in two bad games. It can be in one bad night out on campus. And I don't think our kids realized not everybody is out there to see you succeed, hmm. right? This is, this is life, all right? Indiana, it can be a very strong microcosm for life you, if, if you're doing well. There are those that really give you unrealistic praise and there are those that give you unrealistic negativity and you've gotta be able to deal with it. But no, I wouldn't say that. I would say we had some guys that we they were, were struggling understanding what how you conduct yourself not only as a as a as a basketball student athlete but as a as a player at Indiana and the eyes that are on you. But that night of the accident is, and we've we've researched this and we had it redone, reimagined, talked to doctors. And this is how what I've always said. It could have been you, it could have been me, I don't drink, right? It could have been you or me behind the wheel of that car that night. And there was nothing that you, me, or Emmett Holt could have done when Devin Davis hit that car, right? And and there was nothing we could have done. There, there was, I mean, when I tell you that we've had some some tests and like looked at it, reenacted it, talked to doctors and about levels and things of that nature, poor Emmett Holt shouldn't have been out. But poor Emmett Holt was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. As so was just, Devin just, Davis.
1: Just to be clear what you're saying, Emmett was totally wrong place, wrong time. Wrong no place, question. wrong
2: time. But, yeah. But, like he had, but the other he kids. He had one beer were... four and a half hours earlier. Yeah. No right? problem. But, but so no question he was wrong. But not, but, no, but not, but what, but, but what happened that he had to live with, that, and again, that's not an excuse. I mean, that that's factually like, because man, we need uh, to find out, right? Like we need, find out for ourselves, you know, we didn't, we didn't bring in TMZ or the Indy star to come and film our reenactments. We like, we needed to see here. Right. And, and nobody told me to do that. We did it right. Because I wanted to know, but uh, no, we, our guys should not have, they should have been much smarter uh, and more locked in to where we were at in the season and less about the celebrity and the adulation. And again, I've done, I've done, I've, I've, I've been with experts since this, you know, on how the human mind works at that age in a lot of times and not to sound like I'm trying to be a, a scientist, but like what triggers these things, right? Like what triggers you to do something that you shouldn't do to be in a place that you shouldn't be, how to say no, you know, and, and again, Um, when I was 18, 19 years of age, I was trying to coach and I can't identify with that. Like I can't identify with the adulation these kids get and, and with the attention that they get and how that becomes almost like a drug into itself. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. And, and I mean, look at social media. I mean, we, we all see this now we're parents, so we, we know what we're talking and we, we, we see it, but that was a really tough night that we were extremely fortunate for Devin Davis not to lose his life because as also was, uh, shown an inch and a half more there's no Devin Davis right an inch and a half and and so that's one of the hardest nights I've ever had as a coach not because there was an accident but because I had to prepare parents to see their son and go through the day of not knowing that he was going to wake up again speak again all those kind of things and uh, it was a tough time it was a tough time but um, we got through it we got through it and and, um, we got through it as a group it wasn't like there was um, careful how I say this, um, we got through that as a group because it wasn't like everything was, Boy, well, we're just one big happy family here at old IU and we're going to get through it. It wasn't like that. And so we got through it and, and, and we persevered and Devin got through it. And even though, uh, he couldn't stay at the end, um, because there's certain rules we're just going to follow. And and that is what it is. He ended up going off and ever having a, a really good career at Houston and and even got his opportunity in the NBA with the match. He
1: he did. I, I think though one of the and to just kind of follow this story to its end, one of the saddest things about some of the people involved in this is look, it started and we don't need to talk about it, but it started as the movement, you know, in 2012, yeah. which was yeah, that always was dumb. That
2: was so that that was so that just made no sense. To t- yeah. that, that's that's trying to bring attention to yourself, uh, really. And a guy didn't even play there, right? Like it, it brings attention to yourself, and it those kids didn't need that, right? None of us needed that. It was Indiana basketball, right? You're we not don't need a to change. You're not changing the culture of Indiana basketball, right? And at the time, some of those kids were committing, like, right? Like, well, we didn't have that yet, right? So,
1: okay, fair enough. So Hanner was obviously part of that, and when you look at the, the story as it ends for Hannah Perea, Devin Davis, who obviously was in the next year's class, Emmett Holt, who doesn't make it to the end, all those kids end up you know, vers- being asked to leave for various reasons. How hard was it for you going through what you did on that night in 2014 and everything else that you go through, but to get through that and then have to ask these guys to leave? What was that like for you?
2: Well, the Emmett Holt one, I never wanted him to leave. We'd have never let him start school uh, if we wanted him to leave. We were going to discipline him, but we knew we knew much more of the situation on that. And plus we knew you know what had happened but but that again, that that that's a separate thing. but uh, it was hard. I would think where a lot of things turned for me, and I've said this publicly before, I haven't said it in a long time, but Devin's in the hospital since a Sunday, okay, And my wife and I we I'd been up there all night, from the night it happened, because J.D. Campbell came to our house, I think it was two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, I think I came home for an hour to take a shower and drive back to the hospital. I mean, I was there, long story short, I'm there on a Sunday. And an article had just come out, really, it was calling for my job. And, and, and I'm, we're going up the elevator, and I'll never forget it. My wife says, you know what, Tom, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Because I kept telling her during that time when we were struggling, like, I took my family out of real success at Marquette to come into Indiana. And now that may not mean anything to the average fan. That means a lot to me. I mean, we were winning in Indiana. We had four guys end up scoring over 1,600 points in that program. And I came into what I didn't understand or what they didn't sign up for. You know, I signed up for it, even though I didn't know what we were getting into. They didn't sign up for that. They're following their dad and their husband. And, and I would always tell them, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And that night of the Kentucky win was when, like, they finally saw that. Like, no, no, we've got, we're going to get through this. Well, my wife was the one that did it for me when we're on that elevator and we're going in to see Devin. She goes, Tom, we're going to get through this. We're going to be fine. And it was almost like that was God having her tell me something. And it's it, we've all had those moments where something just hits you and it's like, you just feel it, right? Like it's a, it's a spur of the moment deal. And she's my wife and I love her to death, but like she said something that resonated with me and that like instantly... know we still had Devin laying in a hospital we still had issues but it was like there was a peace of mind that I had that helped my coaching so much more the rest of the way Mm -hmm. And it was just like that her saying that walking up that elevator I don't mean to sound deep but it is deep because it's real and it happened
1: well you're dealing with life and death too yeah (laughs) yeah
2: and and he was awake at this point but we didn't know how it was going to turn out we didn't know what brain damage was going to be there and things like that but like now we were getting attacked right and Um, that made so much sense to me. I I looked at life so much different. That's, and I, and I, and I do to this day. I mean, it just helped me so much, but what, what happened is like, I've always looked at it like this. Okay. With, with problem solving, it with discipline. Okay. Let's say it's you. Okay. You're having trouble being on time for work and I'm not saying you are right. I'm not saying you are. Okay. You're self-employed. You're doing your own deal. Right. (laughs) So you're running things. Yeah. We're never late. So let's never say late. For instance, let's say for instance, you had a flaw and you were late for work. Okay. So we say, okay, you got to be on time for work. You got to be on time in the morning, right? You got to be on time. Okay. So you're trying your best. And then one day, okay, you're late again, but you feel bad. You've got a real reason. I and mean, I can live with that. You're trying to change, but now all of a sudden you're getting there on time for work, but you're leaving work 45 minutes early because you can't. <laughs> now that's when you got to go, right? Because now you're, and that's kind of how I look at issues. Like, these are kids, we're gonna work through issues. You know, my job is to protect them. My job is not to get rid of them at the first sign of trouble. My job is to protect them and help them grow. But the moment that you decide that you got a better way and you don't wanna do that anymore. And well, I can't do this, but I'm gonna do that. You gotta go. And that's kind of how it was. That's kind of how it was for us and some of the decision-making that was made. Got and it. Uh, it just is what it is. And, but, but you don't want anybody to fail, but at certain points in times you gotta say, okay, does this person really wanna make these changes? Because we do have a business to run to. Yeah. Well, and with all those departures,
0: you welcome in what Eric said before we jumped onto this pod is truly one of the greatest recruiting classes in Indiana history. I think it is the, I I really do. Like per capita quality. Yes. You've (laughs) got three NBA players out of three players. You've got Juwan, you've got OG, and you've got Thomas. Did you realize how great they were when they showed up or did it take a little time, uh, especially with OG and, and with Juan who were again,
2: not very highly recruited. Yeah. And you know, the only other one that we really, really tried to get that we worked as hard as those guys was shake Milton who plays for Philadelphia now <laughs> and uh, ended up going to SMU. He played with Juwan and, oh. and AU and we recruited others, but, but, um, yes. all three of them different, uh, all three of them, Different recruitings, different backgrounds. Uh, yes, when we signed them, I felt like we had three NBA players. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I felt like Thomas would be after two. I felt like OG and Jawan would be after three. And then as time went on, I felt like OG would be after two and Jawan would be after three. And, and um, um, so I did feel like, but I also felt like it was because, not just because of their talent levels, but because of the upside, because of the character of the kids and because of the work they all had things that they had to get better at. Thomas Bryant came in with a 25 and a half inch vertical. 17 months later, it had gone up 13 inches to 38 and a half. Like everybody had something that was really holding them back and, and from greatness. And so we had to tap into their strengths, but we also had to work on what they really had to get better at. And in OG's case, a lot of it was uh, just understanding the, the energy and speed Uh, that was needed and, and the consistency of that jawan the versatility, uh, building the shooting, building his athleticism, Thomas Bryant, building his running, building his leaping, building his shooting, all of them with their shooting, but they're all things that we could attack. And the great news is the key is that we had gotten Nick Zeisloff the year before. And then when Hunter and Devin left the night, those decisions were made, um, we're in the office till probably two or three in the morning, going through a notebook of all the kids that were out there potentially as transfers. And Max BFL was in that book Mm -hmm. and to end up getting Max BFL and, and to have him do what he did on that year. Again, we added so much maturity. Nick became more of a leader. Yogi was a senior. Troy was, was, was very much a leader now, even though he still had his wild side, but he was very much a leader now. And Max comes in with something to prove. So, like, we had a really perfect storm to go with those three freshmen.
1: Um, let's take a, a moment to talk about – you and I Exchange texts about this. Yogi. Yogi deserves what his place in Mount Rushmore of Indiana conversations for what he did over four years at Indiana. When you look at his stats, I mean – I think only Ward, Didn't we say it's only him and Damon Bailey who are in the top seven in points and assists or something like that in the history of Indiana university. I mean, he's the all-time leader in assists. He's an all-time leader in three pointers. I mean, just, but. And
0: two-time big 10 champ.
1: Yeah. And two-time big 10 champ. And the only person, the only, I think the only Indiana Hoosier, uh, in this century to be a two-time big 10 champ player, uh, Talk to us just about Yogi's progression from that kid from Park Tudor who almost looked scared to take a three his first year to the pro that he has become.
2: Serious minded. I mean, I still remember the first time ever with Yogi, it was on the on the back of a golf cart, him riding with us right after his freshman year, riding around campus. And I mean, he just continued to grow on you and where others saw things that he didn't do at the highest of levels of, you know, maybe be able to finish strong at the rim and go up and power dunk. I just kept seeing how well coached he was by Ed Schilling. Um, what kind of toughness he had, you know, how he played in the summer with Indiana elite, how he just kept winning. He, I mean, he won two state championships. You know, he was a runner up for another one. And um, he really didn't get the respect that he deserved in high school, to be honest with you. And, 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 but there's something about him. He's, Always carried that chip on his shoulder without having to let you know he has it. You know, some kids have the chip and they want to keep telling you they got it. He didn't have to tell you, but you knew it was there. And he had a high level of confidence. His work ethic continued to grow. Um, you just felt really, he made things happen. There's a toughness to him. There's a durability. There's a toughness. There's a stubbornness and a bullheadedness. But I think that's part of what makes him great. And, and, and our relationship had to formulate over a lot of times because my vision for him, and I think it's one of the reasons he came, we saw an NBA guard, you know, and, and yeah, he's McDonald's all American. Yeah. He's winning, but that doesn't mean everybody sees him as an NBA guard. And we did, but to get to that place, he was going to have to do certain things better than what he was doing. And, 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 but he had an unbelievable career and, and I, I do hope, and this is where, uh, you know, there's always going to be board members or big donors that inject themselves into decision-making at a school like Indiana. Some of those same ones really need to make sure they inject into that school to make sure that Yogi gets honored the way that he needs to be honored. I and because I worry about that, right? I worry about that. I worry, is he going to get the recognition for doing, because he's not going to self-promote himself.
1: Yeah, that is I, an issue with Yogi. He doesn't. Yeah, deserve. he's not going to
2: self-promote himself. And so, and and again it's that's something that I really hope happens and I think it's got to happen not at the basketball level it's got to happen uh at, at the highest level of athletic administration and with the people that you know donate the money and build the buildings and things like that and say wait a minute we really wanted Yogi here he did everything and more okay some people that might have been in the way on that they're not here anymore let's make sure that this kid gets honored the way that he does I, and and you guys could probably help with that because well, you've seen we what will. you see is what you get with Yogi. I mean, he's a real person, right? And there's no act to that kid. I mean, he is a real person. Well, I'm- and we had the pleasure of of having him on the
0: show. And I've got to say, because he he is so serious and determined on the court, um, he's also really a, a delightful person to have a conversation with. And I think at least those who, who tuned in or watched that got to see just what a, a likable guy he is off the court, and hopefully, uh, even with the idea of of just repeating all time assist leader exactly. at Indiana University, exactly. that a groundswell is is coming soon to get him his
2: proper due. And well, break. I hope so. Because whether it was back at Marquette or whether it was Indiana, you know, all I ever wanted for the when I left was to make sure that the previous staff respected those guys, but I didn't want them to be catered to based on the money that they could give the programs or give the school, you know, that, that's not what they were there for. If they decide to give money and sort of like Vic and Cody gave money, great for them. I mean, it's, that's phenomenal, right? There, there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't, those kids deserve whether they ever gave a dime back, they gave a lot to that school. And I've always felt like that as a coach and I felt like that uh, at, at, uh, at Marquette with Dwayne and with others. And so, um, that's ownership. Those kids put a lot into that. And so, I mean, I, I hope the same thing it with, uh, you know, with OG, with Thomas, with Juwan and like those guys did a lot. I mean, they did a lot in those programs well, you, and I hope you, they get that respect.
0: You, you have to give us a, the moment or a story or a conversation, Uh, where you realized OG really was marching to the beat of his own drummer, because we haven't had the pleasure of speaking with him,
2: but from everybody we know who knows him, he's just a really unique guy. Well, he really is. And I think he's, he, he needed to be reminded at times how good he could be. And it was tough early on because he's like most freshmen. I mean, he thought he should have been playing a lot earlier. You asked him right now. I mean, he's got the, he's got the, he's got the memory of an elephant. Now he can remember things that, he could answer your question right now on me, 15 different ways, right? On <laughs> places I held him back and I love him. And there's been, and, and he's got a level of empathy um, that it, no question, something happens. He's usually one of the absolute first to hit, whether it's me, whether it's the family and a lot of them hit, right? I mean, it's, it. it we've got a really good family in that sense of the former players, but like he's just got a different level of empathy. I would say where we knew, um, I did, as much as I recruited him, as much as I got to know him, the guy that was the point person and that was Steve McLean, and then he left. I didn't truly know how he ticked, right? And it took time to get to that. And I probably made some mistakes along the way and I wasn't as communicated with him as I needed to be and assumed he knew more things. I'd say the night we went to Michigan and we got down in that game and we put him on Zach Urban yeah. and we started to see what he was capable of doing defensively and how we impacted that game on the defensive end. And then we had that big, big comeback at the end of the first half, end the second half and ran away with the game. He got that whole thing going with his defense. Mm-hmm. And and I think we realized then, wow, he's he, he can do more than we even thought, right? Like So I would say that would be the basketball moment uh, to me. I would say the coming out of the shell uh, showing that there was a real personality to him, and that didn't work out great for him basketball wise this way, but he won the dance contest, the hula contest at uh, at the Maui Invitational.
1: Nice. So he showed a
2: side of him. He was either the winner or the runner up, but he was in it. He was our rep. So that showed a side of him that he's got a little, he's got a little, uh he's got a little theater in him too. But. Uh, wow. I love him, and I think this contract that he's in right now is going to be dwarfed by the next one that he gets. And he's in the middle of a four-year, seventy-two million-dollar one. the
1: The end of that season, you know, the 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 first year with this with this group. I I always tell people that that Kentucky game, that second round Kentucky game, which was such BS that they put us in a second round game against those guys. Like they yeah. knew that what they were doing. We got low seated. We won the big 10, 15 and three, right? And whatever. But that Kentucky game is so unique to me for, for, for one big reason. We all watch college basketball games. It is so often that the end of a game, when it's like, if it's a game in like the four to six point range, two to six points, it's just ugly endings. Truthfully. It's like free throws, fouls, missed shots, uh, the 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 shot clock's going down you can't get offense running and somebody hits a three you know that that seems to be what college basketball becomes the end of that game the offense that was run the last five minutes of that game you got thomas bryant dunking in the half court yogi i think running that what you guys would call ice where he's behind the basket
2: yeah we would ice underneath the board yeah yeah
1: and dig you know dishing it off to Thomas, an out-of-bounds play where Thomas is diving to the bucket. I mean, just beautiful basketball. Uh, You talked a little bit about um, that season and winning the game against Iowa, but what do you remember from that
2: second-round game, which was such a big win? A ton. I mean, an absolute ton. We made an adjustment in that game um, to run everything higher because Tyler Ulyss was the SEC player of the year, and we believe he was the – I think he was the defensive player of the year. Wow. And our strength coach, Lionel Anderson, came up with a thing based on Yogi and Tyler were both about the same size. But because we stress so much about bigger steps, extending your feet, uh, Tyler Eulis took smaller steps, right? He played like a smaller guard. Well, my big thing with these guys was, oh, you got to play like a bigger guard, right? Like the bigger guards got to play smaller with getting lower. The smaller guards got to play their bigger with covering more ground, right? So it's almost you're, you're getting them. So we moved everything about three or four feet higher to run our pick and rolls, to allow Yogi uh, to get downhill even more and allow his stride and his steps to help increase. And he played a great game. We we did what I call a leopard offense where the leopard changes its spots. So we would spend, I don't know, seven to ten minutes every other day, sometimes every day, running our offense with everybody in a different spot. So we had certain plays. Like we, we wouldn't say you're the five man. We would say you're in the five spot, or we would say, you're not the three man. You're in the three spot. That meant that they were somewhere on the left side of the floor, the two spot. You're on the right side of the floor. So we could, we could run a leopard offense. We could call a call and say, so-and-so you're here, you're here, you're here. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it would look completely different. So it looked like we're running a different play. And all we did is move people. Ah, And, and, and it really worked out for us. And so Yogi got a back cut from the three spot on Tyler Ulis, Thomas Bryant uh, came off a screen. He's basically playing the three spot. Nick Zaisalov's playing the five spot because they were used to that. They were used to it in games. They were used to it in practice. And you could change the complexion of the game quickly just by moving a couple people around. And it would screw the other team up. It screws their scouting report up. So I remember a lot about that. We executed at a high level. Thomas Bryant was on a mission in that game and an absolute mission. And, and they had Scal guarding him, which, which already uh, gave him even more confidence and more, uh, I shouldn't say necessarily comp- but he was more excited about that because Scal had come into the year, ranked the number one prospect in the draft. And the, the, the hard part, I, and I think this was public, but, but Colin Hartman had gotten hurt in the Michigan game. Right. So we get a call, I'm recruiting on a Saturday. We get upset by Michigan in the tournament. Yeah, I think it was Michigan. I, I believe it was. Yeah. It was Michigan yeah. in the NCAA tournament. So um, they think Colin's going to be out. And I said, well, I mean, Michigan, in the have- big 10, big 10, tournament. Big 10 tournament. yeah, the big 10 tournament. Big yeah. tournament. Yeah. Yep. Right. That's who we played. Right.
1: Yes. It is. Yeah.
2: So like we go to practice that Sunday and Colin is like, man, coach, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, you know what? I said, they said you're fine to play. You got the second best left hand on the team. I said, you're going to be fine. And we spent that Sunday practice before the NCAA tournament. We we changed about six things, seven things of the way we run them. You know, we still had our leopard offense to go with our actions where we could move him around. So it really took it. It was really leopard on steroids, right? We took it and we took it to another place where he was really only going to be attacking with his left hand. Wow. And it was a great, I mean, it brought energy to the practice because those kids love cop. Right. And I think everybody's thinking, man, Collins out, Colin's out. Well, we're not gonna let that happen. Right. And so he gained confidence throughout the week. And what they would do is shoot him up with a cortisone shot uh, 15 minutes before the game, you know, on the belief that he was going to be able to be, it might've been 12 minutes. It was right before we came in for the, uh, right when we came in for the, right before we go back out. Cause that shot was, he wasn't going to re-injure himself worse. Obviously you can't do it if he's going to hurt himself worse. Right. But, but they say, no, he's not going to hurt himself worse. He's going to have to have it operated on anyways. So at the end of that game, we got to get the ball inbounds and Cody's our best inbounder. Well, Colin's our best inbounder, but we can't have him inbound the ball. And I learned a valuable coaching lesson. We had Max take it out. Max turned it over late because we couldn't have Colin taking the ball out of bounds late. We needed to get Yogi the ball and he couldn't do both. He couldn't inbound it and throw it to himself. So, (laughs) you know, it was an unbelievable, like, that was my moment where, like, oh, my God, I blew this because I didn't have a third guy it totally ready run. to inbound against pressure. And so, like, I remember the coaching moments uh, as much as anything else. But but the emotion of that game, the way both fan bases were, Calipari had said a long time ago, and, you know, if, if you remember, the year before when we lost to Wichita, we were in the same bracket as Kentucky. Yep. He said, "Lo and behold, you're always gonna. We're always gonna have Indiana and West Virginia on our side of the bracket, and and more often than not, he was right, yeah, right. Yeah. So that's why it's not coincidental. Of course, not. you know this is just not. Yeah, but but uh, it was a huge win against a really good team with a bunch of pros. I thought the job they did on Jamal Murray defensively uh, was tremendous because I don't think we had Rob Johnson got hurt in that game, right? He did, and yeah. OG was guarding Jamal Mur- and just yeah. shut him down, and he was guarding Tyler Ulyss right like Amazing. at that point that was the game that we could have easily lost OG to the end of the first but probably likely the second round
1: right right
2: and right. and but it was too risky you know there's no sense when you're this good to give up yourself a chance to be a high first rounder or a lottery pick and so he didn't go but he did so many things inside of that tournament that the NBA certain teams that valued that were really salivating at and so there was that was a tremendous game and and the next game when we played Carolinas, I think when we really, really missed Rob because they were just a little too good in the backcourt. They shot it well. Marcus Page was like Michael Carter Williams where he shot it better than he usually shoots it. Usually it better hurt. than
1: he ever shot it. Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> it he just hurt. went crazy. I was at that game and I was like, he got... The one thing I thought was Carolina doesn't shoot threes that well.
0: And he got hot. He really well, did. It. Well, and the, the real problem was Eric was there. Yeah. What we've learned is if... Eric is the cooler. If, yeah. if he shows up at an IU tournament no,
2: game, it's not going to end well. Fair enough. I didn't know that. So I keep scoring a lot of my friends. And uh, I, I have a running tab on referees and a running tab on friends. So <laughs> well, Now you you got to know. Him. now I know. It's now not, a, know. Good it's not a good, good record. But i got to believe you saw us win enough that your record of, of pluses would outweigh your minuses.
1: Yeah, well, I did. I saw a lot of good wins. I mean, some of my favorites were those teams. I mean, there's, I, I've told Ward this. The New Year's Eve game uh, against Ohio State at mm-hmm. Assembly Hall, when Victor picked Kraft's pocket twice in a row, I mean, I, I've just I get tingles thinking about that game. I mean, that and they were a top five team. You know, we were still coming on. That that was one of the most enjoyable games and environments I've ever remember. Been we in. had
2: just gotten popped at Michigan State. Yes, Cody's like, first popped. game, right? Yeah, Cody's, Cody's first, first Big Ten thing. game, and yeah. and. Uh, um I love Tom Izzo but you talk about physical oh my god I mean they just it was all built the only game more physical that he dealt with as a freshman was the Purdue game at Mm -hmm. Purdue yeah and uh when they put Travis Carroll on him and and uh but like to be able to come back from losing that game on a Tuesday or Wednesday to come back and play that New Year's Eve game that was tremendous I mean, that showed the real growth in that team that we had throughout the year
1: all right, do me a favor. Put the, put the fact that you're a coach aside for a second. How much
2: fun is it to beat John Calipari? Uh, you know why it is fun? And it goes back to when I was in Conference USA and he went, went to Memphis because he's so good. Yeah. It really is. Like, I don't judge it on... I really don't judge it on like him, don't like him, know him, right. don't know him. It's way more... On how tough they are to beat right and, and how good they are and one of my great wins uh, fun wins at Marquette was we went in there on a Friday night on ESPN in his first year at Memphis and we beat him right and and that was big because he was coming off the NBA you know he's a tremendous coach so um, to me um, whether it was going against Jim Calhoun whether it was going against Rick Patino whether it was going against Roy, um, still th- th- that I haven't been in a game, you know, and beat Syracuse on the floor, that still bothers me. Right. You know, like you want to, you want to go against the best and then you get ready for every game, but there's some games, you know, when you're going against people that are just at a, at a really, really high level and you know, they're going to, they're going to have every rock uncovered. Right. You just got, it, it's just a little bit more. And so that, that's why it's good to beat him and it's tough to go against them. Yeah. So, Along those lines, you just rattled off some Hall of Famers, mm-hmm. all of
0: except one you have gotten the better of. Who's a coach out there who maybe isn't generally put into that tier that you think is is underrated, but you just know is a great coach because you've squared off against
2: him and or watched his teams for years? Oh, I would go with the Big Ten. I would go with Thad Mod and John Bieland mm-hmm. uh, without a question. I would go with those guys. and. Um, I still think Bob Huggins truly belongs in the hall of fame. I would go back to that in my days at, at, at Marquette without question. So I would say that those three guys, I mean, Thad was really, really hard to go against. I mean, you had to bring the whole deal against him. John was so innovative. And so when you were going against those guys, like that was really big. I mean, that was, uh, uh, it wasn't just because they were big name teams, big name coaches, because man, they're, Really good staffs, they're not gonna miss much. You're not tricking them, right? Like you gotta you gotta bring it, you gotta have something different to try to trick them with, but but you're not walking in there and tricking, you're not walking into the big 10 and out scheming people. And and because you've done this, you've done that, you're gonna walk in there. I mean, that ain't gonna happen, right? Like you gotta you gotta have your style, you gotta have some other things that you try to bring, but you gotta really respect the opponent. And so to me, the fear of going against those guys, like I learned with the fear of going against. Rick Pitino, Bob Huggins, John Calipari. It wasn't an unhealthy fear. It was a driving fear. Like, I don't want to miss something here. Mm -hmm. Like when I was a coach at Marquette, I started every day learning with the internet, reading the Cincinnati Inquirer, the Memphis Commercial Appeal, and the uh, uh, Louisville Courier Journal. Because I wanted to have tabs on those programs every day. Because if we were going to have success at Marquette, we had to go through those people. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing at Izzo's, Izzo's the Benchmark. Sure. And Bo Ryan was really strong in that area too, obviously. But, but um, Bo's teams were extremely hard to go, go against. I think everybody knows that. But B-Line but and Thad Mata were really, really tough.
1: So you send Yogi off with a pretty amazing senior year. He wins um, a Big Ten championship. He goes to a Sweet 16. Um, and it's not a start over. You have a lot of talent coming back. And now it does seem like OG's about to hit a new level. Thomas Bryant decides to come back. Jawan, you know, you're hoping that some of the shoulder injury stuff is behind him.
0: James Blackman Jr. James
1: Blackman, Robert Johnson. I mean, you got talent coming. And we're highly rated to start the next year. And you start off like gangbusters. I mean, you beat Kansas. You beat a top five team. A couple weeks down the road, you beat North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You had a misstep uh, in there as well. But... How good do you think that team that was on paper was?
2: Well, the one guy that it um, really, really hurt us. See, the offseason, OG was hurt and couldn't do anything from May to September with contact. Jawan was coming off the surgery. James Blackman was just coming back. Uh, Rob Johnson had, you know, we had to miss some times with him. So you miss a lot of building that team. In the offseason, but the one guy that had a tremendous offseason was Colin Hartman,
1: yeah. right?
2: And then all of a sudden he's down. And it, whether it was September, October, right before practice, that was our only senior. And he was such a valuable senior. One of my favorite player games was Colin's sophomore year. We play him at the five spot against Maryland. If yes, you guys remember that, I do. And, and they couldn't guard him, right? Because right. we put him in a matchup situation and they had to bring their five men out to guard him. He makes three threes early in the game. Like Colin. That losing Nick and Max because of the way they spaced the floor could move without the ball. Didn't have to have the ball to be effective. Okay. Was hard. Well, Colin, those guys helped make OG and, and Troy and all those guys better. Cause they didn't have to have the ball. They could move the ball, but you had to guard them, right? You had to guard them all over the court. Well, Colin's the same way. He could cut and move without the ball. He could play any position on the floor. He could shoot the ball. He could cut, he could pass. To not have that senior and have that senior leadership hurt us. But we still, like you said, we, we did good things. Um, the OG injury was devastating in a lot of ways because he, I think he missed 18 games. But what, what, what is less well-known, uh, Jawan Morgan collided with a referee in the Rutgers game a week earlier at home. The referee was in the wrong spot. Um, I don't think he meant to be. He just was. Um, Jawan injured his ankle. In that game, missed the rest of the game. Jawan was never the same the rest of the year. Wow, did not he was know. Never that. the same. No. I mean, there were he played, but he was never the same. And, and because and the other thing, so like, it's all a culmination, right? Your skills, like OG and Jawan, missed a ton of time that off season. Well, Jawan, those guys are missing that reservoir of improvement that they've got to make and going against contact and all those different. They're getting better, but they're not getting better in a normal way. Right. You know, there Jawan's spending a month and a half and shooting from a chair. Well, Jawan all of a sudden gets hurt that week earlier. He's not practicing that much for us. He's not practicing full time for us. He's not practicing throughout every day for us. I'm working with Tim Garl constantly every day. How much can we get from Jawan today? How much can we get from Jawan tomorrow? So that we have him ready for the game. So when that happens, you lose a rhythm. You lose a rhythm. Um, that team, Josh Newkirk was still finding his way coming off that injury. Right. Um, but losing Colin uh, certainly was hard. We still won those games. But not only did we lose the best defensive wing forward or best probably one through five forward in the country. Right. We lost another guy that couldn't do those things at the same level with Juwan he couldn't guard like that because he couldn't move his feet as well like that. And he still played, he still played effective. And I don't know what the percentage is, but it wasn't that high, right? It was not that high. And so we had two bookend forwards and all of a sudden one is gone and the other one is not nearly as healthy. And it just made us a little more inconsistent. I mean, it it really did. And, and, and our defense went down a little bit as did our shooting.
1: Now you, you had mentioned that the year before, you were already having a, a conversation where your job status was in question.
2: Yeah. You, know, you, had the yeah.
1: you start off this year, you beat Kansas, you beat North Carolina. Is that behind you at this point? Or are you still approaching this season as what's going on with my, like you said, you didn't get an extension.
2: Yeah. So what, what's your mindset for well, your I made. Status? I couldn't blame anybody but myself because I made the decision to stay. And And if I wanted to leave for money, and high level and stuff like that, it was there. Uh, I never took the call. I mean, I, I, I had the third party call. I never took the, the, the real call. Um, um, I, knew I'd, I knew I'd run a gamble. And in all honesty, um, in many ways, my last three years there were as challenging or more challenging than my first three years there. Wow. And um, it, it didn't have anything to do with the fans. I mean, I I mean, fans are fans. I get that. And, and it it wasn't that, I think the people that thought the job was hard for the wrong reasons, it wasn't those things. um, It's just part of it, you know, and, and um, there were challenges in that, but, but I guess I look back at it. I don't know. I I look back. I can't regret it because those relationships with those players were so incredible right? I mean, so incredible. One of the first players to my house when this happened was Nick Zaisaloff. He drove up from Fort Wayne. He played for me for two years. He drove up from Fort Wayne. Now this, this is a guy that had two offers leaving Illinois State. Okay. Ourselves in Duquesne. Right. And, and, and helps take us to the NCAA tournament for two years, the whole thing. Right. He's in the, he's with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. He's in the G League. I don't think he left Illinois State thinking he was going to the G League. Right. And so he, he drives up to our house on an off night just to be at our house. You know, I have no regrets about that time at Indiana because if you're really, and I mean, I, I don't mean the whole time at Indiana. I mean like staying, I hate to say it is what it is, but it is what it is. And um, but I learned I, a lot, right? I mean, what, what, I have a uh, anything I deal with at Georgia or anything I deal with the rest of my time in my career. It's not just what we dealt with the first three years there. It's what we dealt with at the end. It, and so like, you know, with the exterior that you build up to deal with stuff and see things—it just—it is what it is, and it makes you better. And that's
0: kind of how I view it. It's the one of the classic conversations Indiana fans have: If Scott May doesn't break his wrist, do they win? If Alan Henderson doesn't blow out his knee, do they win? If the rash of injuries that you guys suffered that year—you were number three team in the country at one point—doesn't happen, is Coach Tom Crean still our coach? Is that something you can even allow your
2: imagination to ever go to? No, because I don't know if past that, I would have uh, mentally uh, felt good enough about staying, hmm. right? And it had nothing to do with the players. But I don't know. No, I mean, I don't think – I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get a true answer on that. <laughs> right. You know, and, and it's uh, – it just is what it is. And so would we have been better? Well, I don't think – I mean – OGN and OB got hurt. He was a projected lottery pick, right? I mean, so I don't think there's any question we would have con- – he was just starting to play at a good level. He missed his entire offseason, you know, with, with a groin injury. And, and, and as far as any type of contact, and, I mean, he, from May through September, he was not taking any contact. And then had the season, right, and as a projected you lottery
1: pick. You could see it. At the yeah. beginning of that season, he was just out of whack. You could tell – physically sure. he was better and he was going to be better than most people on the court but you could tell like he wasn't catching the ball as cleanly the moves weren't as crisp he was just out of whack from yeah. not
2: not playing and Joan was too right and frankly that's blackman had some great games but he also had some inconsistent games it's very hard the year after the year after is really really difficult and josh newkirk was still going through that right because he practiced but he hadn't played and like that year after the injury when you come back that is a monster and people forget how many injuries James Blackman had you know just like just like with Maurice Creek I mean think about that's one guy I mean a couple things go different for Maurice Creek we're spending 30 minutes talking about him right Right. I mean I mean it's just it's part of it but you feel for that but uh, um, we just weren't quite as good right we weren't quite as good and we didn't quite have the leadership You know, when you take a kid like Colin, Colin was an invaluable player for us. And that's why we're playing Zach McRoberts so much. Just try to, you know, try to make up for that with somebody that could move without the ball that kept, because our offense is very predicated on ball movement, but it's also extremely even more predicated on, on body movement. You know, on, on moving without the ball, creating opportunities for others. You know, we're not an isolation, Paul ISO offense. And, um, um, I think that, that was a lot of it. You know, that, those last two teams shot 42% and 38% from three. And, and um, I think it would have been even much better. I mean, it would have been way better. You know, you I'm put Colin sure. in there, you put a healthy Juwan and, and then a, a a guy like OG that can play the entire oh, year. By but, the way, we would kill for those numbers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, if I, we I, had one player who could hit those numbers. <laughs> so, so would I. I'm back to, I'm back to not taking, uh, I'm not, I'm not making any, uh, any exceptions really right now in the shooting though we got to get our shooting up yeah that's, we got to continue amazing. to get our shooting up and i think it's apparent even around here i had a moment today i'm in the line after working out i'm, I'm in starbucks and i order a venti coffee and a uh, a cheese danish and i get to the line and then and the lady says well the man ahead of you the car paid for you i said oh, that, really she goes, yeah he paid for you i said well, that's great he goes he said win more games <laughs> I said, "What is I said, "Is that a direct quote?" He said, "Yeah." He says, "Win some more games," and I'm like, "Oh man, like where am I at?" Right? Like, so <laughs> I thought about giving the coffee back, but I said, "Why am I going to give a free coffee back? I'm going to drink." Yeah, no, take it. <laughs> um, but like you just—that's uh, in the old days when I first got to Indiana, that made that have made me mad for eight hours, right? Yeah, yeah, so sure. I laughed it off in eight seconds.
1: <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. It, it's funny though that that you talk about that because you talked about how you had. You know, in both our first part and this part, you've talked about times where you've gotten away from what you knew was right in recruiting, you know, and you've made some exceptions and and you've been bit by them at at times.
2: Well, you bet on yourself, which can be a mistake. You you think, okay, I'm gonna be able to change this. You can't change, right. Sometimes you can't, like I've been a part of enough where you have made guys a lot better, but they have to be, they have to get to the point where they're as willing as you to make those changes And you have to continue to see the vision that you keep pushing it up even more so. And there's been times that I've tricked myself on that. Here's the question I wanted to ask though.
1: When you took the job at Indiana,
2: how old were you? You were in your thirties, right? No, I got my job, 41, I think, 41. 41. All right. You had one head
1: coaching job before, Marquette, which was super successful, made a final four, but you're constantly learning. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you you keep learning. I'm in my forties and I'm learning every day. Sure. You talked about how you had players that, at some players, that weren't prepared for being the star, the celebrity that you are at Indiana. How about you? Do you think that you were prepared for what the stage is at Indiana? Even though I know you knew it, you coached in the Big Ten, but it's different to see it from afar than
2: to be in it. What was that like for you? Well, it was different because I took the job with my heart, not my head. -hmm. Right, because the Indiana that I grew up on, from Michigan, and loved and knew of, and went to Bob Knight's coaching academy, or, you know, saw those games, I took it with that, and and um, um, so it was different. But I also took it in a sense that I had a love for it, even though I had not been there. Mm -hmm. But a love for it because it it meant so much to me about what basketball is, and I know I said this on the first show outside of central Michigan university and Michigan state university, my biggest favorite teams were the Marquette national championship and the Indiana national right. championship. And I got to coach you both of them. So I think I was prepared. I think what no one could have been, no one could have been um, ready to deal with what we dealt with when we got in there sure, working sure. for my former coach, Ralph Willard. And I don't remember if I said this on the first show or not, but like working for my coach at Western Kentucky, and his mindset of coaching and his mindset of how he did things that helped prepare me as much for what I dealt with in Indiana as much as anything else and and then it, because because working for him helped me with Tom Izzo Tom Izzo was replacing Judd Heathcote and two NBA guards and uh-huh. Sean Rispert and Eric Snow so like I was able to go in there and have a mindset to help him develop his mindset as a head coach so that helped prepare me to be in Marquette I think I was I was fine with that As I think the biggest thing to me was I loved Indiana and I wanted to be around the people that loved it too. So to, to, to deal with the attention, to deal with the adulation that never got bad to me. That never got old to me. And what about
1: the negativity?
2: Uh, I think you grow through it. I think you grow through it. Yeah. I think it's like anything else. It's like, that's a great question because I think when you, like, if you don't have confidence now it's going to kill you right? Knock you out. But I think the first time it happens, like I'll never forget where it really hit me. It was, it was, uh, it was Noah's freshman year. We're playing Wisconsin at home and I'm subbing them in and out. Okay. On a defensive situation that I know of, and I'm putting them in and out and the fans start to really boo, right? Like they're, they're mad. And I think I know what I'm doing here, right? We end up winning the game, but I think I know what I'm doing here in this situation because of all the film and all those kind of things that we watch. And I remember going to the locker room and I was that stunned me like that was like I got hit. Mm. Uh, and um, but you know what? You deal with it the first time. You get over getting your feelings hurt and you move right on. Right. You move right on. And so, like, if I don't go through that, if I don't have my wife, uh, that 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 peace that comes from God and like, no, this is going to be fine. I mean, you remember the game at No at, against Notre Dame and bankers life. And we're down 15, 16.
1: Oh my God. And the
2: place is just booing it tremendously hard. Right. And it's like, I'm okay. Right. Like I've already been through it. That's not really phasing me. Wow. We're staying with this. And we end up winning the game. And so it's not, you don't walk out of the game, say, man, I, I told you so. No, you walk out of the game, say, I mean, we made a heck of a comeback against a really good team and a really good coach and Mike Bray. And this is a huge win not because we overcame somebody's doubts. And I think that's what you learn. You don't worry about the expectations of others driving you. If you got to worry about that, then your expectations for yourself and the, the, and, the, and the time and energy that you're putting into that and your players and your staff are not high enough. And I think over a period of time at Indiana, I learned that. And I think that's helped me a great deal. But it, it, the adulation it, it can, can make you feel a certain way, the negativity can make you feel a certain way but at the end of the day those better be short-lived emotions mm. and they better they better not control how i think and how i act and how i treat people but there's not one job i've ever had that i could look back at the year and say i didn't make a bunch of mistakes and maybe how i acted what i said a mistake a, a decision that i made in the game the trick is that you're honest enough with yourself to do something about it and go with it it's the people that try to act and blame other people that are, and then you learn over a period of time, you know try, how to try to have some tact, right, and how to try to be, um, um, you know, how to say the right things, but also have to have that, you know, in your heart, right, and and mm-hmm. not run around with a whole bunch of bitterness and anger.
0: Well, and to that point, when the time at IU comes to a close, you've you've grown so much, and I love the phrase "you grow through it." So sure. you you grew through the whole experience at IU and. And what is that like in the the days, and then you know, leading into the months? You know, how do you sort of process what that meant to you, and then be able to move on?
2: Well, you mean when it first when I first when it first changed? Yeah, like like how does it first hit you? Oh, and I was ang- how- I was angry at myself. I, I think my, mm-hmm. the anger at myself was overwhelming. But wait, but wait, because a it, angry because I knew lie. what was happening. I, I I I I had a feel for what I was dealing with you know, over a period of time. And so it was like, um, it was not like I was sitting there shocked by how, um, it's just, it's, it's an unbelievably uncomfortable feeling when you're not comfortable. Right. (laughs) And as you know, and so in those situations, so there was just an anger at myself, but, but, but I worked to get over that because again, Biggest thing to me is people can make decisions, but if you allow them to create doubt in you and take your spirit, that's on you, right? And, and I was not letting that happen because I knew what we were dealing with behind the scenes, but I also know what we were dealing with on the team, right? I knew about our injuries and, and things of that nature, but it's hard, you know, it, it, it's really hard. And I think the biggest thing is how you feel for your family. Sure. Uh, certainly your coaches and their families, but how you feel for your family, because everything changes for them too. But but um
1: I want to focus on that though, coach, yeah.
2: because the most
1: look, you're a grown man, you made a lot of money at Indiana. It's sure. hard to feel sorry for multimillionaires as you know, okay. you know whether it's players or whatever. But your family doesn't sign up for that. And there were stories that your kids got really treated poorly. Uh, in the aftermath, in the wake of that, it made me sick to my stomach as a fan of Indiana that we had people who were supposedly fans who were like somehow I, I don't know like taking pleasure in your misery and sharing that
2: with your kids.
1: Can you talk about what that was like for for your? Well, kid? the
2: one thing with my son, the Bloomington South thing, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that that was uh, <laughs> that was appalling on many levels. Yeah. Uh, and we were there. We'd gotten beat by Michigan State in overtime that day at home. So it wasn't at the end, obviously. But, but uh, I was his sophomore year, and, and um, that was tough. I mean, that was tough. What I was proud of with him, he didn't skip a beat, right? Like he didn't wow. flinch out on the court. And, and you're sitting there with your family. That's my daughter going to school there. But again, I, I look back at that because I think the moment that I would have overreacted to those things um, would have been hard. Um, uh, the one thing that probably summed it up for me a little bit of what I was dealing with was when I left and I came back on March 26th and I went to watch Terry Morton's team play a game at the gym. I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think what happened after that is what really bothers me. They asked my assistant, Beth Sheehan, um, part of the administration asked her, why didn't you get coach Crean's keys back from him? you know, like that was, that's kind of what I would, that's kind of where we were at. Right. And first of all, I didn't have keys. All right. I had the ability to go in a door, right. We were, we were getting my office cleaned out and putting stuff into my car from the the boxes. But I mean, I love Terry Moore. I mean, I was a part of recruiting Tyra, right. When Kurt was there and, and, uh, we shared space with those, with those, with those group. I mean, Felicia Jack I'm texting with her this morning I mean I I loved the people that I worked with and and uh you know it's it was more than just she's the woman's coach and I'm the men's coach in the case of Terry like I wanted her to succeed and I was there I, I was there I wasn't there to draw attention to myself that I know people would look well of course I did but I wasn't there for that and I think that kind of summed up for me like you know what I'm I've been dealing in a situation here that that really doesn't make a lot of sense and if that was ever brought up i'm sure the people that had that question asked would deny it but that's exactly what happened
1: well i will tell you though that the fans to this day remember that you showed up to support terry morin and the We when we did our last part with you all the so many messages that we got direct messages text message board posts you want to know what kind of guy tom crean is he showed up to support his friend terry morin in the women's program people respected that and look administration people may not have but Tom that's one person the fans did well
0: and I, coach, I believe that coach Morin when she just yeah. put us through the ringer in a workout a couple weeks back yeah um, how much you meant to her with her whole time there and
2: that particular incident it really it's a big part of your legacy there well I appreciate it because I don't regret it right I didn't give that much thought right it wasn't like I had to oh man should I or should I No, I'm gonna go in there and watch her team play because I'm here and it's a Sunday afternoon and I'm not going to be here much longer. I mean, I'm, I'm putting these things in my car. Right. And, <laughs> and so I went in there and uh, and and that means a lot to me. Right. Like I just recently got a picture of Tyra in her engagement picture, you know, mm-hmm. with Brad Davison, like people forget, like it's just it, you you build up connections with these people that that if they're real, they last. Right. And there were, there were some that didn't last from Indiana. I mean, it's some that surprised me and some that didn't, but at the end of the day, nothing, you don't let anybody take your spirit or your doubt or take your memories. And, and you just don't let that happen. And, and I don't have any, I, I know what we did. I know what we were dealing with. I know what I wish I'd have done differently. I know the things I'm glad we did. You know, those things are part of the experience. And um, um, you just, you just, you move forward with that knowledge. I don't know if you ever move on from a place that you leave because you loved it there and you I, I haven't disliked any place that I've been at, but you move forward with what you have into the next spot. And I, I it sounds corny, but I believe that. Well, you, and you honestly, you do seem to be at peace with the whole experience. Oh yeah, yeah, I don't have, absolutely. Because hey, I, I wasn't second guessing myself when it happened, right? Mm-hmm. I was mad at myself for allowing it to happen, um, knowing what I knew right? And, and, um, or what I perceived to know, which I was absolutely right on. And, and, um, and and so it's just part of it. But, but um, no, I mean, it, 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 I'm on the phone with Victor Oladipo, uh this afternoon, or this, I guess it was this morning, late like maybe early afternoon, whatever it was. And it's like, you just pick up right from where you leave off. And it, it's, it's, and, 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 and he's going through the business decisions of, 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 of being a free agent, you know, just like Cody did and things like that. Like, no one can ever take those things, right? No one can ever take it. No one can ever take the memories. Like, the people in Indiana are phenomenal. The hard part was not fans having high expectations. That was not the hard part. That's part of it, you know? It, look at what well, I know we talked about this the first time. Look at what we did that first year with attendance in that building. When we won six games, right? The, the hard part was we had to start over another time, and no one had ever had to do that, right? Like we had, well, there was going to be a second start over. Now, thank God, the second start over had Will and and Yogi in it, among some others. But it was going to be a start over, and we had. And but but we had to do your it.
1: point, you could never have anticipated the trajectory that Vic went on to make exactly. the start over that hard. You no, know exactly, like and that, exactly. And look what he did in the NBA. One more year, which you all. I mean, six months before Vic announces that he's going to the NBA draft and ultimately become the second pick of the draft. Had you told people he was going to be leave Indiana early, they would have laughed at
2: you. Well, here's the greatest thing about like where it was at. The NBA has the pre-draft. Uh, I don't know if I've ever said this. Maybe I have. It, it, the NBA has a, a uh, underclass committee, right? And, and where you get the, uh, and we were 20 different people in the NBA, all right? go through and they, and they project where the guy's going to be. All right. So we'd send in Cody's, we had Christians, we did Vicks, right? Vic comes back. There were two teams that had him potentially drafted in the mid to late second round. The other eight teams had him not drafted. That was after (laughs) his sophomore year, after his junior year, there were only two teams that didn't have him one to five or one to six The other 18 teams had him one to five or one to six that's the greatest story of like NBA draft projection from one year to the other, you know, and obviously he did the work and, and it's amazing. It is. I mean, it's just, it just is. And so again, when we recruited him, I wouldn't have signed him. I told him this a hundred times. We wouldn't have signed you. I didn't think you'd be an NBA player because he went through a lot of self doubt and, and because he had never mm-hmm. been raised, like he was going to be that guy, you know, right. that's one of the reasons he's so good because he had a humility. But we always felt like he could be that. But to have that trajectory and to play it like that uh, was tremendous. And, and and he deserves it. Can you update us on,
0: you know, is he feeling good? Is he – I know you can't tell us where he's thinking he's going to sign. We're not Woj Bob. I
2: think Woj. his thing, it might already be out by now. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave that in case it's not uh, with what he's doing. But, but he's got a rehab. You know, he's got a long road ahead of him. And, and he's not even on the court yet. OK, and uh, hopefully sometime in September he gets on the court. Uh, he's got he, he feels really good about the training and the team of people he has around him medically to help him. And um, he's got a strong, strong spirit. And, you know, the best thing I can say about him, he does not miss being in church on Sundays.
0: <laughs> one, of the,
2: one of the greatest things we beat Ohio State on a Sunday afternoon on CBS and that year that that, that last year. All right. He's back in church that night at the nine o'clock church, right? The Catholic church. Um, I'd get, I'd get texts from friends of mine in Indianapolis saw Vic this morning at 7 AM mass. That's on a Sunday on a game day. Like Mm -hmm. when he was playing for the Pacers and, and it's just like, that's not me. I mean, that's, that's his family. That's, that's the way he's been raised. Right. But like those are the things that make you so excited. I wanted all those kids. I remember telling Cody, you know, when we recruited him, you're going to have a chance to have a Tim Tebow platform at Indiana University because of Mm -hmm. his spiritual faith. And look how he's lived his life, Yeah, right? So like to me, there were three things that I always, always wanted guys to leave with. And and it didn't matter where I was at, I, I wanted this. I wanted them to leave with an even better level of selflessness. I wanted them to leave with an even better ability to problem solve, to solve problems. And I wanted them to leave understanding that at some point in time in their life, they were gonna be the spiritual leaders of their home. And those things to me, um, that's what you want. Now there's a whole lot of other things that go on inside of that. There's a whole lot of other things that they've gotta to have to be successful basketball players and athletes and students and all that stuff. But if you have a high level of selflessness, if you can solve problems, and if you know the responsibilities you have coming as you grow up and grow out of here and, 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 and what you have to do with your family and the sense of leading them spiritually, and you know what? You're going to be pretty good. You're going to be pretty good. And you know what? That's And, and, and I want that for everybody. I wanted that for everybody even the, when they left, right? Well, because you don't recruit people to fail.
1: I, I feel like I'm better after talking to you for four hours. <laughs> um, we got to hit you. Before we let you go, we want to hit you with some quick hitter. There's some urban legends that surrounded your time at Indiana, and we want to get your reaction to them to clear up the air.
2: Okay, go ahead. Ward, I knew I knew there or... had to be something behind a trap door here. <laughs>
1: no, 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 no trap door. Ward, start with the beverage.
2: Y- yes, this is crucial. We all
0: must know what were the secret magical ingredients in the green
2: juice you were sipping on the sidelines. Well, it was more of a of a of a black. Uh, it was more of a, like a cola juice. Uh, liftoff was what it was called. Lift off. And yeah, it was Liftoff. Um, off. What's the company starts with an N? Um, I can't think of it, but it was, it was, a, it was a, I would take a bottle of water and it'd be like one of those little capsules, you know, looks like bottle cap, right? A bigger yes. bottle cap thing that you buy at the, at, the, at the store and just, and just break it in half and put it in there, shake it up and drink it during the game. It was a more of a natural non-sugar you know, jolt, but it was called liftoff.
1: Why in the world did you need a jolt? (laughs) Because
2: I didn't want to drink Diet Coke. I needed the jolt. You know, there was a time I went through a period where I was drinking coffee on the sideline. I get so dehydrated. I had to stop doing that. (laughs) But the liftoff and the Diet Cokes and the water, you know, I'm proud of myself because in our our summer workouts, uh, I did not drink one Diet Coke during these workouts. I drank water. I drank a couple before I got out there, but, but uh I'm trying to, I'm trying to change it up. I can't think of what that company. Uh, I'll look yeah, it up. Because it I'm going to order some if it's still. I available. don't know if they still make it. I don't know if they still make it, but it was called it's lift. Off. Probably illegal. That's probably. No, it was legal. <laughs> legal. It was legal. You could order it. It wasn't. It All wasn't. Right. Under it, Herbalife. Herbalife. There you go. Oh, Herbalife. Herbalife. Not an right. Herbalife. Lift
1: oh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: oh, yeah. I lift get off get it it's $21 Herbalife. on Amazon right yeah. now. Or
1: we got to get some and drink it on camera. Do they
2: still make it? They do. They I do. might be going back to it then. <laughs> I might be going back.
1: All right. This one, a little bit more controversial. What happened with the Kyrie Irving in-home visit? Because um, there is an urban legend about this.
2: What is the urban legend?
1: All right. There's two. <laughs> one of them is ridiculous. Okay. Go ahead. One of them is that you went into the bathroom and had some issue in the bathroom. That's no. ridiculous. Okay. I, I, the I other don't one, remember doing that. Okay. The other I, one is the other one is, and maybe I can say it, and you can just tell us how far off we are.
2: I don't. The bathroom one. I don't even try to go to the bathroom in a recruit's home. <laughs> right, <so.
1: laughs> okay. You had an assistant coach who was with you on that official visit, or yeah. on that on that in home visit. Yeah. And that coach may have started almost recruiting
2: for another school, and you didn't like that. Um, that was already going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was already going. I would say it was recruiting for another school, but he wasn't selling Indiana. Got it. it. It it was a very uncomfortable situation. Um, I misread it, but at the end of the day, we got better moving down the road staff wise and things like that. Yeah, I get that. Uh, yeah, it was a very tough visit. The bathroom thing. I'd never heard that. Now that didn't happen, but it was an uncomfortable visit and and I hope Kyrie does well um but um
1: did you just feel in the moment during that that you had to say something like you couldn't just let it continue what do you mean in that official visit or in that in-home visit did did it come to a head basically in front of no not
2: really because it was a no-win situation okay and I'm smart enough to realize I I don't get in fights that that aren't even remote that, that, that there's no chance of winning or it don't go matter what I say. Got right. It. So I was really a little bit like that. I think they'd already made up their mind, which was fine. Hey, who can argue he's first pick in the draft.
1: Right. But you know, it also gave you an idea that like, I have to make a move on the staff too.
2: Uh, eventually. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. That there's, it, it was not a, um, the chemistry of that early on was not real good. Right. Got you it. live and you learn. And, uh, but no, that was not, it was a very uncomfortable visit. But it was not, it was not an, it was not a confrontational. Oh, okay. Two way. It wasn't anything like that. Okay. Um, I don't know where the bathroom thing came from. It <laughs> because, well, because, because fans. <laughs> the because immature
0: fans minds of people yeah. on message boards.
1: <laughs> All right, Ward, you got another one?
0: Yeah. Um, no, would be I an really extremely
2: bad bathroom visit to lose a recruit for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, so I, usually, I, want- I usually would find the Shell station or the uh, McDonald's or something like that right near the house you can rest him before we got to the house.
1: <laughs> well, just by the way, real quick, when we were back in Indiana uh, and we, we got to spend time with Tom Allen um, and who I would think like you guys seem so simpatico to me.
2: Yeah, I only met him once. I don't really, we were never around each other at all. I mean, I, even after he got moved up, he was never really yeah. around, so but I, um, I mean, yeah, he's doing a great job.
1: He is, but we got to spend time with him and we were in his office and I had to go to the bathroom and I couldn't take it. I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I got to go to the bathroom. But he's like, go ahead, you can use mine. And I didn't want to use the bathroom that's in his office. I mean, it was a bad situation. <laughs> Why not? Situation. His, Why not?
0: And he was yeah. in there for like 15 minutes. That's no, I wasn't. That's not true. All right. Ward, you got one? <laughs> no, all I had was, was the
2: green drink. I right, had to you know a the couple answer. Of- yeah. Herbalife. I'm glad you reminded me of Herbalife, but it was definitely called Liftoff and you could get it in different flavors. I didn't like lime. I liked the cola flavor. All right. That's why, that's why it was a little darker. Okay. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. I'm going back this to that. Fun, this is a fun one. Besides your, pacing up and down which you know you you walk a a country mile at least in in every game the hiking up of the pants
2: lost a lot of weight during the season is that what happened oh yeah absolutely and and uh first off I don't like tight clothing right but it's never going to be me being in the skinny jeans or the skinny suits and the skinny (laughs) pile but no that I took uh, the abuse I took at home for that was far more than any (laughs) meme or far more than any fan, because frankly, like I would lose so much weight during the season from all the, you think I pace in the game I and mean, you should see practice, right? right? I mean, I could do three and a half, four miles easy in practice, easy, wow. easy. And, and it just is what it is. And, and so like, I would lose that weight and I, and my eating was never as good back then. And, um, Um, I would run, I would run, you know, as a stress reliever, I would lift some, but I would do a lot more running. So it's just, it's weight loss. And uh, I would be, I would be, I would be too either lazy, distracted, I could use my old focus word, but I didn't feel like going to get in the pants redone, right? I just try to get the uh, but but that, that was a bad phase I went through with letting my clothes be too big, right? <laughs> like, I think you mature. I think once I got into 51, you know what changed me? Going to TV because, because oh,
1: yeah. now,
2: now I don't wear those suits I wore on TV. I don't wear those to coaching. But, but like now you're a little more concerned about the fashion when you're in the TV sure, world. Sure, a little more
1: tailored look.
2: My wife was not letting me do it without getting those suits a little more fitted. And, but I didn't care about that stuff. Right. And it used to drive the guy, Andy Mallard. Yeah. yeah. And I would let the clothes get too big. And so, you know what I did? No clothing deal. I just do my own stuff now. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> are you thing. hoping, are you hoping with the new season that the, the, the casual sideline look will remain or is it yeah, back? I hope I so.
2: See. I hope so. But I don't see, I mean, I stopped wearing a, t- a tie, as you know, at Indiana. Cause yeah. I just, I, I don't like all the, you know, I don't like the tight. I like to be able to move around. Right. And, yeah. and uh, but my pants would start out a certain way when the season would start and they would end up another way by mid (laughs) and by the time we got into the NCAA tournament, I looked ridiculous.
0: (laughs) That's the opposite of Eric. When we go to Bloomington.
1: Yeah.
2: Everything's much tighter. When we leave,
1: I I buy double XL in Bloomington because I know I just need to fit into it. All right. Last one
2: is TIS still selling is TIS still there. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Good place. By the way,
1: I maintain this. I'm just going to throw this out. When you got hired within minutes of getting hired i on my computer created cream and crimson i put it you out the there stellar?
2: you're the one that did it
1: no i got they stole it from me but it was my idea <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, the only person who had that idea was eric stop it <laughs> hey statue <laughs> right. of limitations you still gotta be, fall under that i'd go back and get <laughs> and, that they've got the money now they sold they've lot got the share. money to pay you trust me did, so. did
1: you get any of that money
2: no not at all not at all really they could just you
1: no. your. You need a no. name image likeness deal.
2: Yeah, I should have done a couple of things. We had a, cu- we had a couple of bootleg shirt deals. See, never did a shirt for me that I got any money on either. Could you imagine? Indiana should do well with the NIL. They yes, should they, well should.
1: they should. They should. Um, last thing, we've talked to a lot of the players. This has come up several times. And I don't know if you still do it or it was just something you did for a while. But there was a while at Indiana where you did not have a practice schedule at all. Oh, I have it.
2: I have it. I just don't give it to the... You don't
1: tell it to anybody.
2: Well, no, I do. We, we talk about it, but I don't... We give it the, We give them the practice schedule after the practice a lot of times because I never wanted practice schedules public because of play calls and things like that. So, no, I have an organized practice schedule. And, and um, I always have it, whether it would be on a blue note cards or it's on a blue folded up uh, cardstock card. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not
1: talking about within practice. The time the practice would
2: start. Oh, you know what some of that was? Oh, yeah, no, that's what I'm talking. Not, I'm not I know what some practices practices of that was. Are, your practices are intense. Right. And well, let me different. let me let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Okay, when you got the the one thing like oh no, they would know a day ahead of time or or on that day, but you give in those day and ages, give college kids too much time. Let me give you an example. We canceled practice. The next day, one time at about 11.05, 11.15, one night, okay? I had a player get arrested outside of town at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> I'm not kidding.
1: That is ridiculous. I'm not kidding.
2: Because three of them decided to go out that night and one went to see his girlfriend in another town and got arrested, mm. right? <laughs> like, you know what? Like I kept saying, you see why I do this, right? Like I, I was never big on giving too much. Well, you're going to be there anyways, right? We're going to be practicing, Right. And so, um, yeah, I'm sure that drove them nuts, but a lot of times in some cases I was saving them from themselves. That's fair. That's <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, we knew in the office, but I didn't always, uh, and some of it, a lot of times, now you have to have it turned in ahead of time. You know, they've changed the rules some, so it's harder right. for me to, to do that. But like if, if somebody was hurt and I talked to Tim Gar, okay, what are we looking at tomorrow? What are we looking at in two days? What are we looking at in three days? Well, he'll be a lot more, available to you in two, or he'll be a lot more available to you in three. I'll say, okay, well, we're going to go today. We're going to take tomorrow off, or we're going to go tomorrow. We're going to take the next day off. And that gives us three days on the weekend because so-and-so is healthy. Like you, you don't get better. We were already having enough guys miss. We rarely had a full start to finish. I would say 80 non-weekend, obviously, but during the weekdays, I would say in my time there, probably 80, 90% of the practices did not have everybody there from start to finish because of class schedules. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I was okay with that, right? Like we had to tailor make the schedules around that. Well, sometimes somebody, that somebody's somebody got a project. I'm is sorry. No- is that normal? Like, does- well, It's normal if you want your kids to be in class, right? And <laughs> so remember now, the way we started was different. And we had so many different uh, age groups in our practice. So this class might not be offered, but this certain time that class might not be offered, but that certain time, it's a little bit different when you're a freshman, but now as you got up the ladder, well, this class might be only offered. We had four guys get their masters in four years. We had two more guys get it in five. We had eight guys graduate in three years. So there's a real premium on those kids getting their, their credits and, and especially the way they had double counting classes and things like that. So we would have to organize the practice based around that many times. Got it. And that was fine. That was fine. I and mean, we didn't miss much. And so I would, but, but again, I said, well, so-and-so's got something coming up. He's got to be there earlier. I said, well, I can't have him miss this amount of time or he's got to meet with the tutor. We're not going to practice tomorrow, you know, and we'll, we'll go the next day. So you can't do that as much now, but it wasn't like I was unorganized. It was like, I didn't want issues. And a lot of times when guys, uh, didn't know they could go out late at night or, okay, well, you know, we got practice tomorrow. It's part of it. I don't regret it.
1: Okay. So uh we're wrapping up here um this has been just the, the most enjoyable conversation this
2: is fun it's as close know. as we're getting to a book like that's
1: I said. right yeah
0: yeah we'll we'll, we'll send it now. off we'll send it off to one of these transcription places we'll print it out it'll be on your coffee table next week i gotta have a percentage of it. i gotta have a percentage.
1: no 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 <laughs> green and crimson again we're gonna screw you out of it
2: <laughs> um, i've got friends that have written books with coaches that did 98 percent of the work and got 20 or 30 percent of the profit so there you go there you go (laughs)
1: um I am curious now you've got you know a few years from your your time at IU when you look back on it um you've talked several times about how great the people of Indiana were Hmm. we're not talking about the administration who you've been very delicate throughout this and I appreciate that I think we all know that you did not have the support of the administration the way that a top tier coach at an elite institutions should for it to work. And and I think most people realize that. The Not everybody was rowing in the same direction, I think we can say. But when you look back on just your time, your nine years at Indiana, the uh, the highs and the lows, I want to ask you the, the two sides of the same coin. What are you most proud of? And if you could go back and change something that was under your control, what would you change?
2: Uh... Most proud of the stick-to-itiveness of not giving in in those three years, those first three years. Yeah. I, I would say that because it culminated into the 2011-12 the year, the 12-13 year, not giving in because there were so many fragile moments inside of that, in games and in situations. And, and, and I know that the doubt started um, inside of year three. Right. And, and you know, why is so-and-so in practice all the time right now, he's acting like, no, nah, I don't know if they're here to support me. Right. Like it was just like, it, yeah, it's like you just, there were little signs of those type of things. So you overcome that stuff. But I think the thing you're always going to wish that you would have seen some things better in recruiting, or you would have seen some things better in staffing, but at the end of the day, you do the very best job you can do with those people because they have families too. And, and parents want their kids to succeed. Coaches and staff members want to succeed. I would say there were probably a couple moments where I didn't trust my instincts that I wish I could have those back. And I'm not going to name anybody. But I, sure. it, 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 I, I think, like, man, I, I don't feel this. But I'm kind of getting talked into it. And I really like this person. And I trust them and what they're saying. But I'm not sure I really feel it. But I'm going to go anyways. and I, And I shouldn't have done that but I think you can say that about any walk of life. And for and sure. so I would say that would be, but, but I don't regret staying there. I mean, I, I had great kids to coach. I mean, great young people and a lot of people that were counting on me. Right. And, 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 and for that thing to ride and, and made some absolute lifelong friendships uh, that we pick up right from where we left off, whether it's staffing, whether it's friends in town, the state, certainly the players, um, I mean, look how easy this has been. And we don't even really know each other. It's very easy to talk about something that we're all passionate about. Right. You guys are obviously very easy to talk to, not only because of your love, but because you're very good at what you do, but you're you're real with it, right? And I wouldn't want anybody to come back and say, man, he wasn't real with how much he loved that program and what he tried to get out of those players. Did that mean you agreed with all the decisions? Heck no, no way. Did that mean that you were happy with it? No. Um, but at the end of the day, there was a lot of really good with it. And, and, and that's what we all share with it. Right. So Lifetime even through the mistakes, yeah, even through the mistakes, we had a lot of really good come through it. So I thought that was good. Coach. It's just
0: been so insightful both to your time there and with the game of basketball, this conversation has been so fun. And what I think you did in part one, and now again here in part two is for a lot of people who, who are passionate about the program, like we are, um, you you were our coach. And, and I think the internet has also turned you somewhat at times into a meme or a gift because that's the world we live in now. And to take the time that you have for us and anybody listening, you're a human being. And I think that's lost so often between the television and the games and the social media. And to spend four hours getting to know you as a human being, it really, it really means a lot to us. And it makes us appreciate everything you did for the program that much more.
2: Well, I appreciate that, you know, very much because I really do. I mean, like I looked at every person and I said this before, every person made a difference uh, in that program, you know, because especially when you get in there and you view Indiana the way you do, and then you realize that, boy, this is different. Now we got our, we have no idea the work we had in front of us, but when those fans came back that first year, and you saw that passion in the midnight madnesses, and, or who's your hysteria, and and people came back in there, you know, one thing Fred Glass really did that was really good is he allowed those tickets that weren't being used because we lost so many student tickets to be sold for five dollars, bring a whole new generation of fans in there that couldn't afford to come into those games. Every one of those people mattered, even though we didn't win the games every one of those people mattered because eventually those were the same people that were coming back when we were winning and, 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 and blowing the the lid off of the place. And um, I I loved that, right? Like I loved that. And, and it's, it's not about being a different coach. It was that you had people that you knew it meant so much to them. And I wanted them to look back at me saying, I get why it means so much to you because it means that much to me. And that doesn't mean we're always going to agree, but it, it means that much to me. And I don't have any doubt that me, the staff, the players, the people that were in there, uh, generally speaking, for the most part, for a very, very high percentage, the most part, they gave what they had to it. And that's why I want to see those former players continue to be respected at, at a high level. And that that, that, that worries me at times. It, well, it, it worried me when I left Marquette. It worries me because they're the owners. All right? Whether I'm ever looked at that way, I'm a grown man, and that's not as relevant as those kids being looked at that way, because we sold institutional memory there in a huge way. Mm. And I never wanted those kids to leave and feel like they should be entitled to remain on scholarship, because what happens sometimes when you leave and people leave is they think that scholarship is lifetime. They think they should get whatever they want whenever they want it. Well, that's not reality. That's not reality in one's own life. And it's certainly not reality in one's collegiate life. But those kids gave a lot. And, and I, I want them to be respected for a lot more than what money that they can provide. But because they provided so many great memories and they were part of the ownership of that program. And I'm here to tell you, and you guys have heard a little bit of it, but they went through a lot more than most people would ever really understand. And I'm sure Bob Knight's players could say the same thing. But but they went through a lot. There, there, there were some trap doors in there. And those kids got through them, and we made it through it, and those kids really did a great job with it. Uh,
1: we, we couldn't agree more, and we're going to do whatever we can with this platform to make sure that that happens. But at the same time, you deserve it too. because I appreciate it. Look, there's a lot of coaches out there. There's, what, 350 college basketball teams? A lot of them win a lot of games. There's a lot of coaches who can win games. I mean, there are. There's a lot of good coaches out there that win games. There are not – You can't put it on one finger, the number of coaches that could have done what you did when our program was dead. I mean, we were dead and you breathed life into it in a way that honestly is just singular and and unique. And and I mean that by the very definition of the word, singular and unique. And uh, we're eternally grateful for that. And you deserve the recognition for that, even though you don't want it or not asking for it we want you to come back to Assembly Hall when the time is right, and hear 17,000 people stand up and thank you for what you did. You deserve that. I appreciate that, that. I really uh, do. I before we let that. you go, favorite restaurant in Bloomington?
2: Can't name it. Well, no, let me see. How about let me see. Yeah, because I'm not there anymore. I would have never done that if I was there. Yeah, Let's... but you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite restaurant. Um, we took the, We took the recruits a lot of times to Malibu Grill. Sure, but I liked that place, uh, Jerry DiNardo's place, the Italian place. Groxie? I don't think he owned it. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm gonna go with that one. Uh, that would be my favorite. All right, that's yeah. good. Now the steak place was really good too. Zagreb's, yeah, Zagreb's, and the and the and the and the rolls and things like that. <laughs> you couldn't go in there a lot, and and well, you know, if I'd have gone in there more, I wouldn't have had the pants issues. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But Grazi, Grazi was probably my favorite, if that's the All name. Right,
1: very good. Coach, really uh, echo everything Ward said. Uh, this has been the the joy of our time doing this podcast, has been spending I, this time with I you.
2: I appreciate that. That and, means a uh, lot.
1: And we want to stay in touch with you. And uh, Good luck this
2: season. Man, yeah, you guys are always welcome here. Or we're on the road somewhere. You're welcome here. And, and uh, you can wear your Indiana gear, and I'll get you a couple of short, uh, shirts. Uh, <laughs> we uh, wherever out west. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We really no, absolutely. do. We I appreciate the success. forum. Like I said, this first time I've done this, I appreciate the forum to do this. And it's been fun to talk about it. And it's been fun to talk about it because you guys are so easy to talk to. Yeah. Oh, and you didn't try to pull a Roy Firestone, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it was, uh, but it was, it was really good. It was really All good. Right. I appreciate the opportunity to do it. That
1: was a guest. That was a guest. Hey man, we got to ask him about the Kyrie Irving official visit.
0: I there was I just was gonna slip in the words
1: Upper Decker, I but I just it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it either. I thought about it. I just couldn't, and then I felt like we'd have to explain what an Upper Decker was, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't want to get into that. So, look, uh, overwhelmingly, the response that we got after the last one was positive. Overwhelmingly, yep. yep. There were a couple that were negative. There were a couple that were like, I'm not buying it. Like, there's still this stuff that he screwed up. And I get that. I get being upset with how it ended. I get being upset on, on some of the things that, that the decisions that were made. But I don't think you can question his effort. Like, no, I don't like think like effort was ever. Word, like, we hired him.
0: Not us personally.
1: Right. But Indiana hired him and they hired who he was good, bad, and indifferent. And he came in and he busted his ass harder than anybody could have for nine years. And he brought us from the depths of despair to the number one team in the country and two big 10 titles and three sweet 16s. And, I just would say to anybody who is still on the fence or negative, I get it. And you're probably right about some stuff. And could we have argued with him about certain things? Maybe, but the guy was who he was and he did his level best to win at Indiana. And for the most part with some missteps which he owned here, he represented the program in a way that we can all be proud of and gave us people like Jordy Hulls and Victor Oladipo and Cody Zeller and Christian Watford and Thomas Bryant and OG and Jawan Morgan and Robert Johnson and guys that, that we can be really proud of. And I just, um, I don't know why it's important for me to speak to the minority that were negative instead of the majority, but.
0: They're always right. going to be there.
1: It for it. I get it. But I just think the guy like, I really enjoyed the conversations and I just respect and admire the openness that he gave us in talking about everything.
0: Well, that's the thing because Lord knows we've all got regrets Uh, and, and that the only reason you can go to sleep at night, not just chewing on those regrets is because you learned from a mistake and you grow through it as he would say, and I think we're looking at a man who went through nine years um, up and down, really kind of all over the place, and he's come out of it a himself more mature. He knows more. He learned a lot. Like, how could you not being the head of IU basketball for almost a decade? You know, you could let that kill you, make you better. Right. You, you could really, the way things went down at the end, particularly with there being Obviously, not some support behind the scenes from from his point of view, and then certainly with the injuries, you could really let that bring you down. But I feel like we were talking with a guy who came out of that experience just a a, a better person, um, and I, I I like him, like I really like talking to him, and as much as I enjoyed sort of getting his firsthand account of a lot of those events and moments and players i just want to hear him talk about basketball and i think that's in part why he did so well when he did go on the tv before he picked up the georgia job is he obviously knows so much but he's also really good and engaging when discussing
1: it with let's face it to laymen <laughs> you know the leopard offense stuff how like, cool is that just putting different guys in the same spots to confuse the defense so they think you're running something else which created mismatches i'm telling you i highly recommend i don't know if you've done this recently go it's on youtube watch the last six minutes of that game the second round game in the 2015 or 2016 right now i'm forgetting what years but yeah thomas 15 15, 16 year when Uh, they went
0: to the when they beat kentucky in
1: that in the second round the offense that was run at the end of that game. I mean, we were getting like great execution. Dunks at the basket. OG open on a kick out for three. I mean, it was awesome. Nick Zeisloff firing a pass from the top of the key to a cutting Thomas Bryan for a dunk. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is. And it's just such a joy to watch that, that game. Ignore the Thomas Bryan charge that made me break my hand. But I agree with you. He's just so much fun to listen to talk basketball. Um, yeah, I just, there's no reason for him to come on the show. There's no reason for him to talk to us except for talking to the people that care about Indiana that he respects.
0: It's, it's, that's what I love is that he still clearly loves Indiana basketball. Yes. You know, and, and it's Indiana. That idea did not get ruined for him by being a part of it and eventually asked to leave it. You know, look, he he was there a lot longer than we were, than any players were, you know, in terms of the time and the effort and the love he put into it. He got a lot more money out of it than we did, but clearly he's not a mercenary either. It was, he even said he took the job with his heart, not his head, and, and that he still has that love and affection for the thing we do, that's why he came on, you know, and, and I think, you know, yes, he, he took on the, the questions we asked that were, were less pleasant or the the events that were less pleasant. But really, it was about talking about all these wonderful times where it was him and those players and the staff around that. And, and a lot of times, 17,000 of us going crazy like that's that's it, man. That's that's really the further you get away from it. If if you're handling it the right way your life you're you're reflecting upon the good times and the bad ones kind of fade into the distance and have somehow made you grow through it
1: yeah I'm with you just big 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 thank you and tons of, gra- tons of gratitude for him to him for doing that with us and sh- twice
0: and shout out to Riley who uh, also he grew up in that uh, incredible atmosphere, good and bad. Um, but for him to to have at least heard enough of us or know enough about us to say, "Hey, Dad, um, give these guys a go. They won't Roy Firestone you." Thank you, yeah. Riley.
1: Thank you, Riley. And shout out to Ainsley. Why? Because I have a daughter named Ainsley, <laughs> yeah. so I have to give her a special <laughs> shout out. Uh, that was great. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the Hysterics. No E, no I. But sometimes, why? We will be back at you next week.
0: From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us too goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we well, who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? Who's hysterics?